to speak might not make you intelligent but we're gonna try to prove otherwise this is the clashing sabers podcast i am one of your hosts brandon my co-pilot drew is currently flying through the galaxy he will be landing with us shortly but i am here with my other co-pilot i don't know how that works can you have three co-pilots i think technically one would be a first mate okay we'll go with that We'll Maybe? go with that. She is as spoiled as Boar Gullet in a Dr. Evazon laboratory. It's Lindsay. Oh, I can't even argue with that. Isn't That's a deep cut right there. That is. I've had that on I, my I phone. I can't argue for so many reasons. I've had that on my phone for two weeks. Just uh, sitting I, there. I wonder what happened two weeks ago that would have prompted that. That was when I didn't do your intro right. Remember on the last episode? And you were saying oh. you're all spoiled. Yes. Yep. And I was just like strolling around one day and I was like, that's a great one. That's so. it. That's the one. Oh, I'm happy you got to use it now. I feel very accomplished yeah. and very proud of myself. Probably more proud of myself than I should, but hey, little victories. Uh, and we are talking A New Hope tonight. And when we're talking A New Hope, we have to have an old person on because that was like 40 years ago. It was a long time ago. So we have my good friend, my best man, Steve Kirk. 42 years ago, technically. Okay. Well, age yourself a little bit more, why don't you? I'm owning it, so. <laughs> <laughs> Steve Kirk, a.k.a. Southern Wine Mom. Which is <laughs> yes, I don't... I really don't know why or how that started, but again, what can I do? I've just got to own it. It it's, it's perfect. If you don't listen to San Diego Sabres, you probably should, just not necessarily with your children around. Um, Steve, what are you Star Warsing lately? What am I Star Warsing lately? Right now, I'm just watching all the news about Galaxy's Edge opening. Oh, see, I'm like in a weird place because I want to watch it and see everything, and also it's very depressing. Don't be depressed. It's fine. No, I'm, I am trying to absorb all the information, not necessarily the details about the, uh, the park itself. But I'm, I'm looking for people's reactions. I want to hear the good and the bad. How are the lines? How are the crowds? How is this? How, and I, w- I want to understand people's experiences. Yeah, that's kind of like one of the reasons I want to hold off a while for going, not just because oh. the crowds are going to be ridiculous and I don't do crowds very well. Um, but I want to like kind of get the tips and tricks of like, when do you go to a certain place? What's the best time to check, do this? Check, check. Whoa! Hey, everybody! Oh, who could that be? That's Drew Brett. Good morning. Good afternoon. <laughs> That's the one. <laughs> and good evening. Uh, Drew, what's going on, man? We are. I am here. I made it. You guys tried to start this nonsense without me, but it did not work. <sighs> Foiled again. <laughs> Better luck next time. He just shows up everywhere we go, guys. Oh, man. He doesn't take hints very well. I'm like a bad habit. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we were just talking some Galaxy's Edge and all the new stuff that was going out. Um, have you been keeping up with that? 
I've heard of Galaxy's Edge. That's a thing. Yes, it is. Um, I saw where you can buy the holocrons, and that's probably the coolest thing I've heard yet. I saw a thing where you can buy the holocron, and your lightsaber crystal can be put in it. What? Yeah. I saw that, too. Here's and a- I can't wait. See, no oh, kidding. I like re- Lindsay. I love you, but I also really hate you. <laughs> Again, you know, like Steve said, talk to me more when we get the fan reactions and how long the lines are yeah. and what the crowds are like and, you know, how well are people able to circulate in and out. I'm I'm hoping that I'm going in uh first time I'm going is September to Disney World, so it'll have been open for just about a month. I'm hoping uh they have all the kinks worked out by then and I can go in and enjoy it to its fullest for at least at least four hours. At least have yeah. we heard any have we heard any horror stories of people stuck at the gate or anything like that, trampled to death? I read a post yesterday that was supposed reviews of galaxy's edge complaining about like a three hour wait line for like the lightsaber um store and things like that but it looked kind of shady so i feel like that was one of those like boycott episode nine groups out there just like making fake stuff uh Ah. you know because it was just in a, a random facebook group so i've seen stuff out there but it doesn't have doesn't seem to have any legitimate sources um i really haven't seen any reviews steve have you seen any most of what i've seen see i kind of question what you saw yesterday because yesterday was kind of the the grand opening but it was more private and invite only so from what i understand today's the actual public opening so i'm discounting anything before today yeah, that was kind of where I was at. When do you think you're going to be able to go? Because you're over in California, so you're somewhat closer. I'm, yeah, I'm two hours away, uh, depending on traffic, as we say. But uh, I, I don't know. I was thinking maybe 2023. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> because like you, I, you that's, know. That's I, my style of travel planning. <laughs> the I, I'm not fantastic with the major crowds, the older I get, and we've already covered that topic, <laughs> but, but even still like the reservation system right now only lets you in four hours at a time. Okay. Well, that's just not enough time. So, you know, next year at the earliest, so may, plus, plus kind of the idea of let them work all the kinks and bugs out of the system first before I go spend my money and time there. Yeah. I definitely am going to hold off for, at least when it's not four hours anymore, once they get rid of that time limit, which, I mean, I get in in the beginning, and, I, and they had to do something, otherwise you were going to end up just way overcrowded in five- and six-hour lines and things like that. And I think mm. having the stormtroopers and making it a part of the the actual, like, event of going there, I think is, like, kind of the best way they could do it, and hopefully people understand that. But, yeah, I... I want to be able to go when I can go like a couple days in a row and go and see like everything. Like I want to, you know, they, they said like you can scan um, things and it'll read it and give you certain clues to different things and Easter eggs. And I want to go like deep dive for all of that stuff. 
Oh, That's yeah, the yeah. cool thing, too, is they. it seems to me like they fully anticipate, obviously, big crowds and lots of wait time, even two, three, ten years out. But they packed everything with enough Easter eggs that it sounds like even when you are sitting around waiting, there's still going to be a lot for you to engage with and a lot to keep you occupied. Yeah, but, you know, because I was talking with Brooke about that last night, like, there's going to be, like you said, there's going to be stuff to do. It's part of being there. But at some point, like, you're going to have done it all. You know, like, if you're sitting, if you're in, like, one of the holding rooms, for example, for, like, three hours, you're going to have scanned everything and seen everything. And at some point, it's just going to become, you know, boredom. So it'll be interesting. You say that, and yet you say that, and yet we still all go back to Disneyland. This is This is true. <laughs> This is true. And it'll it'll be really good for, you know, people like us and the people listening to this podcast who keep up to date with all the little details because we're going to be able to pick up on so many more little Easter eggs and connections and get so much more enjoyment out of it, you know, than when I probably go with my sister who watches the movies and there's no way she's going to pick up on all the little details I'm sure she's going to get bored after, you know, an hour of waiting on something, but she's just going to have to deal with it. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was talking with uh, Michelle, a friend of the show, um, o- over on uh, Twitter the other day, and um, she was like, do I take my first trip to Galaxy's Edge with my family or without? And I was like... I have to go with my significant other because otherwise I'm going to be jumping up and down on other people and be like, oh, my God, did you see that? Did you? Oh, my God. And that's just going to be me for like five straight hours. And I, that's, I'm pretty sure they're going to kick me out of the park if I do that to somebody else. I think that's so what I'm on. hearing is what I'm hearing is you need a child leash. I mean, that's oh. just a general rule um, for most places. Not against it. Yes. <laughs> what if what if we get him like a leash, but we all have a leash on him? He's just <laughs> walking around with like four leashes. Just pulled in all different photo. directions. Love it. I mean, we are all gonna be in one place at one time in the very near future. So just come prepared. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Uh so Lindsay, you are Star Warsing something pretty cool that I know you wanted to talk about. So tell us what you're up to. I have been Star Warsing. Drum roll please. Oculus Quest with Vader Immortal episode 1. Tell us about so it. So I, you know, it it took me about an hour to play the first time. I've played three more times since. Um, get to even a couple times where it's just like, you know what? I have 10 minutes to kill. Let me jump into this favorite part of the story. Um, you know, it's it's so mind-blowing because I've done augmented reality before where you can, you know, put your phone in the headset and you can still kind of see around you. But this really is just total and complete immersion where all of a sudden you're transported from, I was in my office and all of a sudden I'm on a ship and I get to walk around the ship and pick things up and look at them and interact with Maya Rudolph who plays this really cool droid. But 
that I mean, that's for the Oculus Quest, but the story itself was so much stronger than I thought it was going to be. I thought it would be just a cute little game you get to play. But the story about Vader and about Mustafar and the indigenous people on Mustafar is so detailed and so beautifully told. And the first time I played it, my heart was absolutely racing because I was getting so attached to the characters already and so nervous for them. And you really do become part of the story in such a cool way. It's just something totally different that I never ever thought I would get to experience. It's really well done and I can't wait for the next episodes. So I know it's VR and that kind of like changes the medium a little bit. Is it something that like for people who don't have the Oculus Quest and aren't going to be able to get the Oculus Quest um, that could eventually have like a, a YouTube um, video like they do, you know, like the cutscenes for Battlefront 2? Because I know that's how I watched or partook in Battlefront 2. I honestly do think that the story is good enough and stands on its own enough that it'll be fun to watch. Uh, no matter how you get to take it in, whether it's through a YouTube video or even just listening, you know, I um, I know that you can hear the audio even if you don't have the headset on. Um, there's just a lot of cool parts of the story where no, you don't necessarily need to experience climbing up a ladder on VR, but there's still a lot of minor plot points that are important. And it's going to be just really cool to see how the story itself plays out. I don't want to get too spoilery with it. Um, there are parts where it was really reminiscent of the um, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, if you're familiar with that, where in the movie they tell the story about the Deathly Hallows and they have that beautiful animation going over while they're doing the voiceover. They do something similar there to explain the history of Mustafar where you can honestly watch it on YouTube. And I think it's still going to be just as beautiful and just as moving of a story. Um, the only thing you probably wouldn't get by watching it on YouTube are scenes where Darth Vader is doing things like walking towards you, or maybe it's dark in there and all of a sudden you just see his belt light up. That was oddly terrifying. Uh, even in VR, just to suddenly have this massive, massive presence and they do such a good job where he really is hulking over you and you understand why people might be afraid of him. Um, so little things like that you probably wouldn't fully get on YouTube, but the story itself is still really well done. I would definitely encourage people checking it out wherever they can. So the uh, the graphics and everything are like up to snuff? Like how how is... Besides the story, how was, like, that part of it? Yeah, the graphics were impressively well done. Um, the closer you get to certain objects, I thought maybe the quality would start to fade or the illusion would shatter. Overall, though, the, the graphics were really impressive. And my thought is that five, ten years from now, we'll look back on on these graphics and be like, Oh, this looks so silly. Like, look how far we've come, but it, you know, being first generation and what it is, it was really good and really outweighed my expectations. So Steve, you have, um, a little more of a tech background. Where do you think like 
taking off from Vader Immortal, where do you think that that like Star Wars virtual reality could eventually go to? Like, could we ever get like a Battlefront Two type thing uh, in VR? The short answer is yes, eventually. I think that's absolutely where everybody wants it to go. And because people want it to go there, it will. They they will find a way to make the technology work. Um, that's that's kind of been true with a lot of sci-fi that's turned into reality, right? Is you, you create it in sci-fi and enough people get enamored with it that a generation later it starts to become a household item. Yeah, I mean... Heck, that's like the story of Ready Player One, right? Or the setting of Ready Player One. Um, it's interesting because I feel like five, ten years ago, we had like a almost a false start with virtual reality, where they're like, "Oh yeah, like here's virtual reality," and then it kind of petered out for a minute, mm-hmm. and now it's kind of making a comeback. So I'm glad that that Vader Immortal is. Basic. I mean, I mean, I haven't heard a bad thing about it yet. Um, I remember people really liking it when they got to do the test run at Star Wars Celebration. Uh, I was listening mm-hmm. to our friends over at Tatooine Sons the other day, and they really enjoyed the story. So, Lindsay, you said it's like only an hour of gameplay, or or what? It is, and that's almost kind of a up to you. Even um, it probably could be shorter. I just spent so much time. It lets you. Again, I don't want to give too much away because I really do encourage people to go on YouTube, find a video of it, and check it out. Uh, but depending on if you're on the ship or if you're on a cer- in a certain room, something like that, you get to go around and really experience each room and all these little details. And there's all these Easter eggs that you can go up and get a little bit more information on. For example, there's one room that has all these different murals and you can go up and really explore each mural. So depending on how much time you want to spend getting all the details possible, it probably does add up to maybe an hour, an hour, 15 minutes. If you want to just breeze through the gameplay aspect of it or breeze through and get the main points of the story, then you can honestly probably do it in like 45 minutes. Hmm. Okay, I am going to ask for one spoiler, and I just need a yes or a no, okay. all right? All right. You said the, there were murals, yes? I did. Okay. Mortis gods, yes or no? No. Okay. That would have been cool, though, oh, right? Oh, man. That would have been pretty I cool. I like where your head's at. I mean, we have a few more episodes. Yeah, no, that's this... true. Have they announced yeah. how many episodes there are going to be? You know, I, I could have sworn they said three. They might have said that at Celebration. I haven't really seen a lot, and I haven't seen any release dates coming out, but three is sticking out in my mind for some reason. Okay. Well, I mean, it makes sense. Star Wars trilogies t- tends to happen. Yeah, it there's a they have, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so let's go ahead and jump into our... We need to think of a cool name for this segment. I was going to say Stats of the Week, but we do a bi-weekly show, so that doesn't really work. You know what? Here, Here's what we're going to do. We're going to get into our happybeeps.net section where we look at some different charts and graphs uh, and statistics about the saga we all love. If you can come up with a cool idea for this uh, segment, tweet at me on Twitter. Uh, on Twitter, because that's where you tweet at Clashing Sabers, or send me a DM, or uh, text me at eight three two nine six six zero zero seventy seven. Uh, yeah, that's. I just came up with that idea on the spot. We're going with it. 
So we are talking A New Hope tonight, and uh, our friends over at Happy Beep set up this uh, this these charts for us, um, which of course will be linked in the show notes if you want to look along with us. So I want to start with this one um, because I found this uh, quite intriguing, actually. So the first uh, statistic that we have is A New Hope Toys by Scene Source. So basically what scene or what um, area they were in. And this is a, a percentage, all right? So we have Tatooine. Uh, we have concepts and deleted scenes. We have the Falcon and the Death Star. And then we have the Battle of Yavin. So, Drew, I'm going to give throw this to you. Where do okay. you think the most toys, what scene do you think they came from out of those it's four? Prob- I'm going to say Tatooine. You would be correct. 46% is Tatooine. Dang. Because I feel like every Cantina alien probably has 17 different versions out there. Oh, good call. Look at you with the logic. I know, I know. The rare, but, you know, it helps sometimes. What, like, because, okay, so concepts and deleted scenes is 5%. What? Yeah, so what? Oh, that Job of the Hutt, Boba Fett. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, Biggs, (laughs) Red Leader. I was at, uh, there's a Star Wars art show um, that they have here in Houston on May the 4th. And there was a, a toy seller there, and he actually had, um, I don't know when they were from, but they were Ralph McQuarrie um, art figures. So, like, the, yeah. the, I had never seen those before. That was pretty cool. Um, when did those come out? Are they, how old are those? They it, can't be terribly old. No, I think they're only maybe like a few years. The packaging looked very um, of the time of, like, Attack of the Clones. With the bubble shaped the way it was, and the just the background okay. setup. So, uh, just going off of what it looked like, yeah, I was I was leaning towards towards that. Uh, all right, so then Lindsay, New Hope is your number one. What do you think is the number two? Huh. I would say, and now this is going to span for the entire original trilogy. You said right? No, no, just for a New Hope. Just a new hope. So you have Tatooine, you have concepts and deleted scenes, uh-huh. uh, you have Falcon and the Death Star, and you have the Battle of Yavin. So we know Tatooine's number one. Okay. I'm going to go with Millennium Falcon. Yep, that would be it. That's yes! 29%. And then uh, <laughs> Battle of Yavin's bringing up the rear at 20%. I guess, is that just mostly because, I mean, there's not a lot of... I just guess there's not a lot of toy sets that you could sell around there you've got x-wings tie fighters in the death star sequences have you've got both your heroes and your villains you've got tarkin and a couple i mean i don't know that they ever made a a, uh, admiral wolf yularen figure or anything like that but i think you have a lot more they have the death star droids the protocol droids they had the hangar bay sequence you have all kinds of different things. You have Luke and Han in stormtrooper armor and all kinds of different whatnots. But when you start looking at like the Yavin 4 assault, I don't think they made a Lieutenant Nyantan uh, action figure. Nobody cared about Red 9, and I don't even think he got a name until 1996, 97. So. Hey, I cared about Red 9. You did not. You didn't even know who he is. Yes, my favorite characters, Ahsoka, Red 9, in that order. <laughs> he's, he's always said it. It's yeah, like literally. That's that sounds like Brandon. Yes, very much so. 
Steve, when A New Hope was out for the original run, were you? Did you get into the toys? Oh my God, yes. So, from I your was seven and eight years old at that time, like toys, yes. Right. That's <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what I, I what I figured. So, were you? Ex- let's say this. Tell us your toy story. Aww. I was young, so so toys, yes. <laughs> but you know, th- th- this was a new age of sci-fi, and as a kid growing up, the the subject matter was new. You were looking for something fun as a kid, anyway. So it 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 just all hit like right at the perfect time. So I remember, you know, sitting in the backyard. Uh, sitting in the treehouse uh, with friends, and I'd have I had like the the two foot Darth Vader uh, with with his his red lightsaber and the cloak, and we'd have X wings, and even my uncle hand carved an X wing out of wood for me. What? Yeah, I think Best I still uncle got it. Ever. It was awesome. So everybody was getting into it, and I, you know, clearly I was into it as a result of all that, and so it was just. It, that was the really cool stuff right then. And, and I just, I lucked out being literally in the right place at the right time. Did you do the, uh, the famous cardboard mail away? Oh, I'm going to say yes, because I might've done several of them. <laughs> <laughs> that tracks that definitely tracks. Even- even back in the day when, like, I remember Pepsi-Cola used to do, you know, collect so many bottle caps and mail them in for a free thing. I was like, Mom, can we get some more Pepsi? Yeah. Not even drinking it, just pouring it down the drain? Uh, kind of like digging in a box of cereal for the toy, just for the toy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. I mean, that's why cereal digging works. Digging through the garbage. No big deal. Other people's garbage. <laughs> Uh, they threw it out. They didn't need it. I might as well take advantage of it. That's true. <laughs> it's called recycling. Right. I don't, I don't think that's what recycling means. Oh. <laughs> Reduce, reuse, recycle. He's yeah. getting the reuse part. Exactly. Oh, grody. Steve, you're so ahead of your time. I appreciate that. <laughs> innovator. Steve is an innovator. I remember, like... And, and this will take us to our our next section, um, which is a New Hope Toys by Production Era. When I was getting my Star Wars toys, would have been around 96, 97 with the special editions slash Shadow of the Empire stuff. Because I remember I had the Chewbacca, but I only had the Chewbacca like bounty hunter get up with the, the buzz cut. Snuva. Mo- yeah, it was not good. Um, what? I mean, it was c- cool then, but like in retrospect, I was like, mm, maybe, maybe not. And then, <laughs> and then I had a Luke, but he was in this weird red bounty hunter armor, and it was like not Mandalorian armor, but it was something else. So I always had to pretend like he was pretending to be a bounty hunter. I never actually had a, like a regular Luke Skywalker for things. I had like the most off, like off-brand Star Wars. It's like. Star Wars toys that were like found at Dollar General or something like that. I don't know what was going on with them. But so I always had to imagine, you know, like these stories. And I think honestly, you know, I appreciate that now because it forced me to be creative, which I think is one of the things that made Star Wars toys so successful. Um, Okay. So that anecdote aside, 
A New Hope Toys by Production era. So we have the classic Star Wars, which would be 77 to 88. We have the Renaissance, or excuse me, uh, yeah, 77 to 88. Then we have the Renaissance era, which runs through 99. The prequel era, which is 99 through 2008. Clone Wars is 2008-2014, and Story Group era is 2014 to present. So just focusing, and, and this is the, the number or the types of toys produced. Um, so let's just look at the, the trilogies. So the classic trilogy, the prequel trilogy, um, and the Story Group era, which would be the sequel trilogy. Drew, what do you think, what, what era do you think would have the most uh, toys produced? Oh, holy moly. All right, so let me, by answering the question, let me make sure I understand the question. So you're asking for the characters from A New Hope when the most versions of those toys were produced? Yes. Oh, good grief. Uh, man, because I, I, my initial instinct is going to be that Renaissance period. Because I feel like they did a lot of reissues, like they had the Power of the Force line. That's I'm my gonna, gut reaction too. Right, but, but yeah, like how many there, how many different versions would there really have been released during the classic trilogy run? Those first ten years, how many different versions of the same character are they, would they really have been interested in releasing? I feel like they would have just printed more of the same. But maybe, maybe, I don't know. I think I want to stick with that Renaissance, that mid '90s kind of thing. You would be wrong. Steve, you want to give it a go? What do you think? So here's my logic. Disney is a master at merchandising. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. You know what? You're probably right. I'm thinking the story group era. Yeah, by a long shot. Um, So to put it into perspective, the story group era has roughly 600 different types of uh, toys produced. Uh, whereas the classic era or the classic Star Wars uh, run had 200 and the Renaissance is of mm, roughly 225. Uh, My goodness. So you're talking like three times as many different kinds have come out in the past five years versus what came in those decade spans. Yeah. Yeah. The, I, the other big era would have been possible. Well, the other big era was the prequel era, um, which was what? yeah. So th- that was about four hundred. So here's my here's my thinking, right? With the classic Star Wars, with the original trilogy, th- the merchandising took off quicker than really Kenner could produce figures, right? So sure, it was a limited set of figures that you got, um, but a lot of them sold. You know what I mean? So like. A lot of stormtroopers sold, but they were all the same stormtroopers. Whereas, like the prequel era, well, now you've got oh, here's this clone trooper with the yellow armor and the green armor and the and all these different things, um, and then just ramp that up even more once you throw Disney on top of it. Uh, and, mm. I, and I think it makes sense. So, are, are these statistics looking at just a New Hope as the film source, or are they also including uh, Empire and Return of the Jedi? No, this is just a New Hope as the film source. So, oh my gosh, that's just mind-boggling right? that they would be able to produce that many different things in the past five years. So now, just imagine, like, just imagine much- the sequel trilogy. Imagine how well, much stuff they've created for that, because like. 
I'm thinking going to the toy store, I don't see any really ex- – I mean, the Black Series stuff, um, I see some some of them. But the bulk of the sections are like the the sequel trilogy stuff. Yeah. Then you even then get into like the different Funko Pops and stuff like that. You know, every, there's a lot more companies that have the licensing to it other than just Kenner and just Hasbro. That's a good point. Are these thing are these statistics taking into account those different things or are they just kind of like action figure action figures? Um well it it seems just to be toy it doesn't specify um it just says a new hope toys by production era. We do have um one that differentiates them between the different types of toys. You guys want to jump into that? Yeah. Oh. I'm so curious. <laughs> All right. I'm so curious. So this is one we can kind of do like a, a double because it's actually a New Hope toys versus the total toy. So we have action figures, Legos, bobbleheads, cars, which would be like okay. your Hot Wheels yeah. and your plushes. That's right. the kind of delineation that I was I was thinking. Yeah, about. Like yeah, yeah. Where are we where are we breaking down between? Because how many oh, man, how many different versions of Luke and Leia have they released in those past five years? And, and it's just kind of. I'm a little bit blown away that it's really been just since the Disney era has taken over because there were so many different versions. But then again, if we're keeping it to just a new hope, that was the one that introduced all the characters. So it had the largest uh, population to pull from. So maybe that's where my brain is just, that's the logic step I'm missing. Yeah. I think this is specific to like actual from that film. So if you have like, uh, Luke and his uh, Return of the Jedi black garb, you know, that wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't count towards it. Um, no. So so the one that we have the most total um, types of toys created is pretty obvious. It's action figures. Um, sure. You know, um, but here's the interesting thing. A New Hope is at about uh, a thousand out of the 6,000 different types of action figures created. The one that really... Legos comes in in second there um, at a pretty equal ratio to uh, what we see with action figures. The one that I am uh, fascinated by because it's me is the plushes. I really thought plushes would be a little more. Uh, I mean, it's at like a hundred, maybe. Like it's it's barely on the chart at all. And we were talking about uh, last week with Chewbacca uh, on the last episode, how we were surprised there weren't more Chewbacca plushes. But it seems like maybe they just don't create as many plushes as I thought. There's only only so many porgs they can make. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's not you can never have. You can never have too many, though. That's the thing. You could have a flock of porgs or a murder. Oh, of porgs, my bad. A murder yes. of porgs. Yeah. But see, it's like the stormtrooper thing. Like you, you can buy all of the same pork, and then you just have your whole murder of porgs right there. We need to get. You know what? We need a special edition with porgs just stuck into certain parts of the the movie. I think that would be great. <laughs> just like uh, we're going to talk about special editions in a bit. So don't you whoa. worry about a thing? Okay. Whoa. Well, that's a segue, ladies and gentlemen. That's what they call it in uh, in Radio World. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back and talk some new hope. You fought in the Clone Wars? Yes. I was once a Jedi Knight, the same as your father. I wish I'd known him. He was the best star pilot in the galaxy. And a cunning warrior. And he was a good friend. 
over a thousand generations, the Jedi Knights were the guardians of peace and justice in the old Republic, before the dark times, before the Empire. How did my father die? A young Jedi named Darth Vader, who was a pupil of mine until he turned to evil. Vader was seduced by the dark side of the Force, helped the Empire hunt down and destroy the Jedi Knights. He betrayed and murdered your father. Now the Jedi are all but extinct. All right, and we are back, and we are talking the Star Wars, the original Star Wars, A New Hope. Uh, I'm excited about this one. Uh, this feels like, like we're doing this whole series, and this feels like one of those, it's like Easter Sunday at church, you know? It's just like, <laughs> you wear your best clothes, you make sure you're on time, like you just have to be there. Uh, it's, it's a sacred right, event, right. talking about A New Hope. It is. You know what? Can I just share a, we'll call it a little non-scale victory here? Yeah, let's do it. I, when we, when <laughs> it was time to sit down and do my top three, bottom three, I was like, you know what? Real quick, let me go through the movie in my head. Let me go like scene by scene in my head, figure out my top three, bottom three then. You know, if I, if I need to watch the movie again, of course I will. I have seen this movie so many times that I was able <laughs> to capture so many minor details just in my head. And then I kind of shrugged. I was like, yeah, I still got time. I'll still watch it. So <laughs> I, I watched it again right after. And I don't think I missed a single scene in my head. That's how many times oh, I've watched gosh. this. <laughs> I was so proud of myself. See, I had kind of the opposite experience where I have not, I mean, having watched it hundreds of times already as a kid, I haven't sat down to watch the whole thing front to back for maybe three or four years. Wow. So, How much did you like, love this? You know, this was a really tough assignment because I, I really did, I, I forgot to take notes at several parts. I was like, oh, I'm supposed to be writing things down. Um, and I watched it with my, my kids in the room and they were loving it and having a good time. So I was like, this is really working. And I'll tell you, there are things that I am still picking out in the background that I have never seen before. Um, and I think that has to do with the, I watching it on the Blu-ray this time. I wanted to, I thought it'd be kind of cool if I could find a VCR in the past few days to watch like the unedited original 1980 mm -hmm. version that I have on VHS or something. But circumstances being what they are, I had to go with just whatever was the latest and the greatest. So it was just like, oh, they look really sharp. These pictures are Obi-Wan is sweating in this scene profusely. And I don't understand. <laughs> it was really interesting to kind of watch it because I I grew up watching it in full screen. So I have it in that, you know, that aspect ratio that cuts oh, off so much. Yeah. And it was just so different to go, oh, look over there. Look over there. Did you guys know? And, and this may be one of those things everybody found, figured out years ago, and I'm just coming late to the party. Like Flash um, Gordon? I was going to say like Rebels, but that's a different oh. story. Um, in the scene Steve where joke. Luke is uh, training with the remote, 
on the Falcon and he has the blast shield down, if you look behind Luke on the top shelf, you can see sets of pillows and blankets lining the top shelf. What? Yes, I'm not kidding. Go back and watch it and look over Luke's shoulders and look up. And if in the Blu-ray, it's crystal clear that these are like pillows and blankets. I'm not even kidding. Currently Googling. Oh, I, I have right no now. idea if it's there, but I'm telling you, it's it's a dead giveaway. Like it's so funny. I'm gonna find I'm gonna find this. I'm gonna find okay. it. All well, right, anyways. While you're searching yes, for it. <laughs> let's go ahead and jump into it. Uh Steve, you are the guest of honor, so we're going to start with our bottom three, um, and I'm going to let you go first. For those of you who have not listened before, the way our top three, bottom three goes is we list our three least favorite things about the movie, ideas for um, how we would change it or alter it, just anything along um, that line. We start with our one that is our most least favorite we start with our number three, <laughs> which means we're kind of like okay with it, and it's then not we go as bad. Yeah. yeah, and then we go to our number one, which is like the the most egregious thing, if you will. And then top three, pretty simple. Top three. Uh, so Steve, let's start off with you. What is your bottom number three? You know how hard this is for me. It really <laughs> is. <laughs> like you I, are Steve, not alone on this. Can one. you be? I am. I am. I feel like I'm grasping at straws to to declare a scene as quote unquote not good. And I know it's not really about that, but uh, wait till next month when we have to do Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> that one would be much easier for me. Oh, what? Oh, we're gonna fight. Yeah, that'll be half next month. That's fine. That's fine. I will start with and and uh, see this one probably is better in perspective with the special editions because they did improve some of the CG and, and effects. But I'm going to say the scene where the X-Wing squadrons are flying towards the Death Star. No. Only because of the effects is, is in the original, it was all models and nothing was really animated. They were just kind of drawn across the screen. So that scene got better in the special editions. Like I said, I'm grasping at straws here. I can't, I can't sit here <laughs> in my mind and say there's a scene I don't like. Like, okay, that scene got better over time. Therefore, I could say in the original it was a little bit less. Are, are you I'm grasping it. So are you talking about the shot where the camera in the special editions, the, the camera swings past like kind of Luke. I, maybe it's Luke or maybe it's a red one. I'm not sure. And you kind of see his head bobbing up and down. The one one shot they're all very proud of. It has yeah, like 30 and, of the fighters in it. Yeah. And the, the, the fighters are kind of now in, in the special editions. They're all kind of independent in the X. The, yeah. The spoils move. And so it's much better in the special edition i have to say that scene is but yeah that's the scene where they're kind of flying across the planet they've left yavin they're headed towards a death star wow i'm, gra- okay. I'm gasping dude <laughs> I, well no this is very tough and that's an interesting one to point out because did you watch the special edition uh, or did you well, let me ask let me back up and ask a better question did you do a rewatch of this one more recently uh it was a couple of weeks ago i've i've rewatched them yeah which version did you watch I, so to be fair, I think I watched the OT version last time. Wow. I was feeling nostalgic. I, I still have an <laughs> OT version. That's awesome. I, um, I was wondering about trying to go back and compare the differences between 
the original version versus kind of the different special editions. You have the 97, mm. you have the DVD releases, and even in the Blu-ray, they continue to tinker with crap. And there are still some things that they don't change, which I don't understand, too. Mm. Um, but, man, some of that original special edition CGI does not hold up at all. Um, it doesn't. No. The job of the hut model looks terrible. The Mos Eisley introduction looks terrible. But man. it was great at the time, to be fair. And and that's like again, it's like there oh, are yeah. scenes I could go. Uh, but at the time, fantastic. Just that 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 X Wing scene is one that just it does a little bit go, okay, well it got better in time and, and so like I said, it's it's hard to say there's a scene I don't like, but I'm I'm still <laughs> I'm, I'm okay. I'm done. <laughs> well, it's going to get harder. So hold on. I yeah, know. It's, it's Strap in. All right, Lindsay, let's go to you. What's your bottom number three? My bottom number three actually is the special edition CGI's. Aha. Uh-huh. Wow. You see that, yeah. that transition there? Only because it's so glaringly obvious when they added something in. So I'm willing to bet that if I were to show my nephews this in a couple years or something, and they had never seen the original version with those new edits, they would still be able to pick out exactly what was added in later. It's just too glaringly obvious when something is added in that it's to the point of silly at points, especially on Tatooine as they're going into Moss Eisley. Oh, it's you know, so scenes, rough. Yeah, scenes like that. Even in Empire, you know, on in Bespin or something like that. It's just the the stuff they added is so, I don't want to say cringeworthy. It's just you can tell. There's massive juxtaposition. You know, when we're on the Death Star for a longer period of time and we don't have those edits the story just flows that much more because we're not jarred out of something because it's all of a sudden, you know, oh my God, look at the animation there. Look at the computer graphics there. That wasn't there before. Well, and like when I watch it, anytime I watch uh, the special editions, like the scene with Jabba, and I know it gets, you know, crapped on a lot, which it kind of deserves fairly enough. Uh, But it's like, Han goes like straight up and then he like slides over on a right angle and then straight down. It just, (laughs) it like doesn't even make physics sense for like how you would walk over the tail of this giant slug, right? And even with the the Han and Greedo scene, who shot first aside, like Han's head like almost moves off of his neck. It's just, it's it's weird and, and it was. I think it was something that would have been fine to play around with like in the studio. Um, and, and maybe make a copy of it for yourself, George Lucas, but not necessarily <laughs> put it out there, you know, like, cause I, I see what they were doing with testing the technology and things like that. And I appreciate that. Um, and I appreciate, you know, him wanting to, you know, get the story to where he wanted it to go. But yeah, I mean, but then again, like we're looking at this in an era where we're coming out with a lion king in a couple weeks here where the cgi lions basically look real so you know it it is a matter of perspective thing on that i i think that well just to address brandon's point then i want to go back to Lindsay's point brandon that that han and greedo sequence i think the blu-ray gets it the closest to what works the most um I, I don't think it's as jarring to the, at least this time this time when I watched it, it didn't look that bad and it, it kind of looked like it worked to me that that scene worked better 
this time around than it has ever since the original version where Han just blows Greedo away, which is fine. But I think it, it's so fast. Like, the two shots are so lightning quick uh, one after the other that I almost couldn't tell if they were fired at the same time or at, at, at different intervals. So I, I think they finally nailed it in this particular version. I mean, granted, it's taken 40 years or something to, to get it to a version that actually looks um, a slightly more acceptable. But, Lindsay, to your point, yeah, I, I, th- I agree. The CGI looks really rough, except I think there are two two instances of it wor- that it work really well and don't stand out as bad. And one is the change of when R2 is wandering through the canyons by himself oh, and yeah, they made yeah. it much more dusky and dark. I think looked really good, and I think the insert shot of the of the sand crawler arriving at the Lars homestead looks really, really good. Um, but probably because the entire image is computer generated, rather than like a model shot or anything like that, because they can make it the whole frame look of a piece, rather than when you get to Mos Eisley. And the land speeder blasts by, and it's got the blue electrical things flying around in the engines, which appear in no other shot in the film. That it just stand out like a sore thumb. But I think those two instances are probably the best that 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 this film contains. The one CGI thing that always sticks out to me is the dewbacks that the stormtroopers are riding. Oh, because those are so bad. Well, mm. here's the thing. Like when I went to go see it in '97, when it came out in the theaters, I don't remember anything about that experience except for that scene right there because i just vividly remember going wait a minute that's not supposed to be there because i'd watched <laughs> the movie so many times and i didn't realize these were special editions it was just star wars is coming oh. back to the theater and I, it just it really threw me off and i'm sure i had a similar reaction to Jabba and whatever and then you know like Lindsay said once you get into the death star stuff you just sink in the story but that's one that always sticks out to me all right drew you're up what's your nitpick number three Oh man, we had a, I had to seriously pick some nits to find stuff that wasn't good. There's a, there's a lot of things in here that work, and there's a lot of things in here that are like, oh gee, okay, this was this. You can tell that George Lucas was kind of a fledgling f- filmmaker, although he had some amazing things, amazing titles to behind him. But this one, you could tell, could really could have used some additional work in places. One of the things that bothered me the most this time around is Red Squadron, when Red Leader says all wings report in. And they don't report in numerical order. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I don't know why, but it drove me out of my mind <laughs> to hear them not go in the right. I'm like, if you're a guy who's trying to take attendance and they're starting in like the 10 and 7 and 9 and 3 and 4 and 6 and what the heck is going on? And it was like, what kind of military discipline is this that you guys can't even get your numbers in the right order? And I don't think it's ever bothered me before. In fact, I was pretty proud of myself as a kid when I was able to memorize the order in which they appeared and recite it with them. Um, and don't act like I'm the only one who did that, okay? <laughs> I know all three of you had that part memorized <laughs> as well, so I don't want to hear it. But I don't. Maybe it's just the fact that I've gotten old and cranky. But when they were out of order, I was like, "Good grief!" I know the only reason they did it was so that Luke could go last, um, so that he could kind of be the button on that particular, you know, paragraph in the screenplay or something. But golly, did that bother me this time around? I feel like it's in like sixth grade when you had a substitute teacher and they were taking attendance, and instead of being like, "Here," you always had that like one kid who made a goat noise or something. <laughs> I'm sorry, you had a kid making goat noises in your class? 
had a kid, was that kid, whatever. <laughs> it's all the same. It's all the same. Anyway, that's my my number three. Brandon, you want to round out this? Uh, sure. All right. Trove. So, this is one that's always kind of bothered me, and it's it's Luke's angst to get off of Tatooine. I don't feel like it's as powerful as it could be. Uh, I mean, because. We get him mentioning going to the Academy, and then he seems interested when 3PO brings up the Rebellion. Of course, there's that deleted scene with him and Biggs. You can consider that canon or not. Um, But I just feel like we could have had a line, like, once I finally get off this rock or or something like that, so that you feel his need to just get away more powerfully. Um, And then, you know, when we go to Return of the Jedi, it's a lot more powerful that he's willing to come back for for han um because of you know what he means to him and everything um i just i don't think necessarily that it it did a poor job of it i just wish it was a little more emphasized i'm actually going to sacrifice my number one for my bottom three um and piggyback off of this and it's that luke I think you phrased it much more eloquently and positively than I did, which is that you didn't feel his angst enough. Mine was more that he was just whiny. But see, the whiny doesn't bother me because of the full arc. You know, it's... A lot of this movie, though... I think when I was looking at my bottom three, it was like, okay, I under, I would start to put something in my bottom three. And then I was like, but I understand why they had to do it to set it up for something else. And when you look at it as a whole, it all works. But Luke's just overall whininess. I, w- I do wish they went more with an angsty or, you know, I really need to get off as opposed to just, I don't want to do my chores. More more like Anakin in Attack of the Clones, but with uh, better well, no, 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 but with better writing. With a New Hope level writing, but like angsty. Cause, a little darker. Yeah, a little darker. Because yeah. he, Anakin was a, a little creepy in that movie, um, but he was <laughs> much more like angsty emo teenager than, than whiny uh, 18-year-old. Hmm. What could have been? Uh, here, here. I, mean, I agree. Two against two. Yeah. I mean, well, Steve and, didn't and vote yet, so I'll, I'll actually agree with you, Brandon. Please take Nate the note the date and time, <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and the reluctance in his voice. Oh man, it. it, it I have this on record. My soul to do this. It's I it's know. recording. Mm-hmm. So the difference between the two is you have no sympathy for Anakin whining. Dude, you're in the Jedi Order. You're really strong. You're the chosen one. What are you whining for? Luke, on the other hand, you're stuck in the desert with your aunt and uncle. You want to be a normal boy and go do normal boy things, but you've got to go fix the moisture evaporators on the south side. You want him to get out. You feel like you've yeah. got a right to whine, dude. That's yeah, That's fair. That's fair. I'm not going to lie. I would whine. I'm I'm man enough to admit we that. We know you would. <laughs> <laughs> okay then. Well, since that's the direction it's heading. Oh, I like him. <laughs> Aren't you excited for the best man speech? <laughs> oh Lord, help us. Uh, all right, Steve, we're back around to you. What is your bottom number two? 
Number two on the bottom. Okay, so this is this is the I remember this bothered me at the time. So this isn't necessarily it's a bad scene, but it's just like I don't buy it. Like like there's Hollywood magic here. I, it 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 pulls me out just a little bit. But it's after R two and CP C three PO crash on Tatooine. Wait, 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 wait. Can R2- I just pause and ask how many of us on the panel tonight called him CP three O for? A long time. Is it just me? It's yeah, mostly it's just you. you. I, could n- I could never <laughs> say it right. Anyways, continue. Continue. Thank you. I'll go uh, live in my shame corner. As, as Brandon magically edits that part out later. <laughs> go cuddle your porgs. <laughs> it's, it's the fact that in this, in this Sahara sand dune, or Tunisian sand dune as the case may be, R2, this big clunky droid, is just gently rolling over the sand. <laughs> uh-uh. Uh-uh. That would be like him rolling over the top of freshly uh, a, a, a fresh snow field. No. That's not – physics don't work that way. There's this thing called gravity and friction and sand. It gets everywhere. Oh, I hate that just, sand. There's a little so unreality there that just – it's a net, but I'm like, okay, that I, I don't really like that part, but I accept it and move on. I mean, and it always stood you, out to me weird how in that part where, where 3PO says he's tired, I'm like, <laughs> you're a robot. robot. <laughs> you don't get tired, dude. What are you talking about? It's the Speaking old, um, it's the old physics in that galaxy might work differently argument for things, you know? Yeah, it's like Star Wars time. It's like, okay, it doesn't <gasps> make sense. You just have to accept it. Yeah, time he on was Dagobah using his rockets. <gasps> yes. He was just He was using his rockets. They were so low. He was just <laughs> gliding. He was hovering. <laughs> gliding yeah. across the top of the yeah. sand. I dig sure. it. Sure. Head cannon. Head cannon. I'm accepted. Silently shaking my head here. I mean, that's usually what you do with me. So <laughs> continue yeah. shaking. Lindsay, let's go to you. All right, mine, one of those similar things. It just kind of always irked me at the time, even when I was nine years old watching this for the first time. Uh, But it's when Luke and Leia are swinging across that gap. And Leia, who at this point has saved everyone else multiple times, just stops and does like the damsel in distress, kiss the hero on the cheek thing. Even when I was a kid, I was like, that's not right. That's not what she would do right there. But how cool is that galaxy of adventures where Luke gets himself all twisted up and Leia goes in and saves the day? I love that one. That's I thought so that was good. It's not a big thing. It's just one of those, even when I was a kid, I knew it wasn't right. Hmm. I'm trying to decide if that bothers me or not, but I'm not really sure. Because I can see your point. Because I watched it this time and I was like, man, she really does just kind of take charge and is the only one who knows has any idea what to do next. That's pretty cool. Maybe she felt bad and she said, he's going to need the luck because I'm not doing it for myself and so he's going to screw it up. <laughs> he needs all the help he can get. <laughs> no, is there a way to read it that way? I, there is. We'll give it to you because I like it. I think it purely uh, comes back. Icky. I think it purely comes back to the idea of there being a love triangle in as the original direction for the story. Mm. Nah. I don't know about that. I, I, mean, I think it's 
it's it's more like Lindsay's point is like they're going for that old Errol Flynn kind of swashbuckling hero of the the swing from pirate ship to pirate ship, and so he's got to have like like she's like Lindsay, like you said, the damsel in distress moment there, and I feel like it's just kind of they're leaning into the archetypes a little bit heavily, and that's where that comes from. I don't think there's a whole lot more to read into it beyond that, but I don't I don't know. I mean, I agree. They're not mutually exclusive, though. That's a good point. They're really not, and we you know. We have the freedom to read into things with a more modern viewpoint than even when it was done. Although it's many years ago, we're allowed to reinterpret things with a new framework in mind. So hey, I mean that's what we've done with Return of the Jedi, really. So and that's not a bad thing either. So. Yeah, yeah, that's true. All well, right, my Drew. number two is going to be in the same scene, um, and this is another, one of the things that, like you guys were saying, that has bothered me since the first time I saw it. Why in the world does that door? only come up about 12 inches off the ground when the stormtroopers are trying to break through. What functionality are they tapping in to an automatic door that only goes a foot? What in the world is going... Like, it's shut, it's locked, and I get that. And they're working on trying to force it open, but it only goes up a foot. Why, why is that a thing? In a universe where doors open automatically for people, wh- why would it ever stop at 12 inches to let a fleet of mouse droids go through and nobody else? That doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand why the door did that, except for maybe the dramatic tension so that Luke didn't get shot in the back. The doors are a major issue in a There's new a Hope. lot of, like, OSHA issues. There's no safety railings anywhere. <laughs> Who puts exactly. a chasm in the middle? Of, why, why, why would you ever want the bridge not extended? I don't understand that. Oh, Who? that silly Galen Erso. At it again. <laughs> Head cannon accepted. Plan? <laughs> that was it. That was the flaw he was talking about. I just. I'm going. To, <laughs> I, can, I, I, I can see him he at was his like terminal. Exhaust port. What exhaust port? I'm talking about the doors. <laughs> yeah. I removed all the safety railings. You're supposed to bump into the the station, and, and everybody falls into pits everywhere. <laughs> oh man! Somebody pull a fire alarm. That's what we're going for. <laughs> it was so much easier than flying X-wings down a trench, guys. Where's the Galen Erso Force Ghost yelling at everybody? Robot Chicken, get on that. Makes me those kind of things. It's like, really, like why? Why would you ever have <laughs> a bridge that could extend across a chasm? And why would you n- ever pull it back? And maybe then you, this is why we're getting the Death Star in Rise of Skywalker, <laughs> so that now we have the entryway to Galen Erso's Force Ghost. <laughs> Okay, it's, I, I, it's I, all for if, a reason, guys. <laughs> Galen Erso is Palpatine's father, confirmed. <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh goodness I, gracious! Little things like that just kind of st- stood out this time around. Like, wait a minute, what is happening in the sequence, and why? <laughs> well, that's one of the things too. Like, um, so okay, so you have the the door not going up. You have the stormtrooper bumping his head on the door. But the the one that always got me was when they're looking for the droids in Tatooine and the stormtroopers just politely knock on the door and it doesn't open up. And they're like, oh, Oh, well, it's locked. I guess we just will move on from here. Yes, that absolutely stood out this time. I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. What kind of search are they performing? Like, what are they doing? Doors locked. Move on to the next one. No, 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 not. You're the Imperial forces. You knock that door down. I mean, and, and and think about this: What door did C three PO and R two hide in? What is that? Like, yeah. what town? It was like a phone booth. What's well, like a random like walk in closet just in the middle of nowhere? 
can you imagine if that was like some like somebody's homestead or like a shop and they just went in and flipped the open <laughs> sign to close and were hiding like the mannequins in the window? Like what is going on here? That would have been that would have been good. It's weird. It's weird. All right. Ugh. Are we back around to me now? Yeah, I think it's your number two. All right. It's always you. It's always you, Brandon. <laughs> Anyways. Um, I like that I'm not the one who is like the <laughs> the most that. <laughs> it's your one time. Enjoy it. This is a great little vacation for me, guys. I appreciate it. <laughs> Anytime you want me back, Drew, just let me know. You and me just hang out all the time. Let's do that. Totally. Totally. <laughs> Spin off right, show. Friend. All right. This may be sacrilege, but I'm going to say it. My bottom number two is the duel. What? Here's the thing. Here's the thing. <laughs> I like that Steve even sighs like I do. <laughs> okay, here's the thing. I think this comes down to me seeing the entire trilogy at one time and that lessening the impact because I get why the duel is great. I don't dislike the duel. All right. But. <sighs> It just always felt a tad bit on the boring side of things when you compare it to, like, Empire and Jedi. And I think a major part of that for me is, I mean, I I like Obi-Wan, but in the original trilogy, I never really got very attached to Obi-Wan. I connected with Obi-Wan more oh. in the prequels. It just, I, again, guys, we're, we're nitpicking here. I know I went for a big one, but it just always is on just a tad bit short for me that's because you got to see other things to put it in perspective at the time yes uh, yeah no that's exactly but you have it. Yeah. but if that's the only movie you had and you realize that george lucas had a budget of 59.95 for that scene <laughs> it was fantastic I'm not arguing that. I'm not arguing that it's Good. not one of the greatest scenes of all time. I'm just saying from my viewing experience that it's the worst part of the movie? No. Not by it's far. It's the second to worst oh, part oh, of the movie. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to hear what number one is. I really hated it when they blew up the Death Star. I felt so bad for Tarkin. Millions of people. It was, it was terrorist activity. Man. It was near genocide. What? There were exactly. contractors on kids. there. There was something else going on in Jedi. You never noticed it till today. They built another Death Star, right? Yeah. Now, the first one was completed and fully operational before the Rebels destroyed it. Luke we'll blew it up. Give credit where credit's due. And the second one was still being built when they blew it up. Compliments of Lando Calrissian. Something just never sat right with me that second time around. I could never put my finger on it, but something just wasn't right. And you figured it out. The first Death Star was manned by the Imperial Army. The only people on board were stormtroopers, dignitaries, Imperials. Basically. So when they blew it up, no problem. Evil's punished. And the second time around? The second time around, it wasn't even done being built yet. It was still under construction. So? So a construction job of that magnitude would require a hell of a lot more manpower than the Imperial Army had to offer. I'll bet they brought independent contractors in on that thing. Plumbers, aluminum siders, roofers. And not just Imperials. Is that what you're getting at? Exactly. In order to get it built quickly and quietly, they'd hire anybody that can do the job. Think the average stormtrooper knows how to install a toilet main? One man's freedom fighter is another man's terrorist. Exactly. Let's move. You see okay. how they've rewritten history here to make themselves the heroes. Mm-hmm. Very. <laughs> oh, those victors. Propaganda. Yeah. Their their ability to rewrite history. William Wallace's. 
I do have to give Brandon some credit, though. The first lightsaber duel in Star Wars movie I ever saw was Duel of Fates. And when you compare what? anything to that. Yeah, episode one was the first Star Wars was- movie I ever saw. I am. I am. I am flabbergasted. <laughs> I am yeah. happy for you. I am happy for you. Yeah, but like imagine imagine that being your first lightsaber duel. So uh, this one in New Hope is definitely something that I've understood and love more and more as I get older and I understand the emotional component behind it and appreciate what it must have been like in 77 to sit there and see that for the first time would be absolutely wild. So I'll agree with Brandon that I can see why it's lackluster, but I couldn't put it in my bottom three. I just couldn't do it because I have a heart and soul. Wow. Oh, well, you know, that's, <laughs> oh, saved it there at the end. I appreciate it. Have, have we all seen the Fair. most recent fan edit yeah. attempt to go back and redo this? I was wondering if this would come up, and I kind of think this would be the best point to address it. Um, how, I, how do we how do we feel about this thing? Okay, I'm, I'm going to take this one first because I feel like I need to defend myself a little bit. I, I like it. I, I think it's a very well done video. Uh, I think it's I think it's I think it's great. That said, I wouldn't want it in place of what we get in the movie. I really you yeah. would you be interested in something like uh, of that kind of energy to replace the actual combat between the two actors or I mean what would it what is it that you liked about the, this new fan creation edit that that appealed to you and and would you be interested in having that inserted into the film proper it was the it's it's almost being gluttonous it's just the action portion of it um just purely the spectacle um which is is part of why you know like the prequel duels are so amazing it's just a spectacle it's not how they would oh excuse me it's not how they would actually you know fight in that situation um but the the story part of the duel let me let me specify the story part of the duel obi-wan sacrifice um the the tension between the two the connection you feel between whoever vader was and, and obi-wan is all there it's it's purely just the the combat portion of it where i'm like hmm. you know so um this fills that gap but i don't think it told the story um that it needed to in the same way that the original cut does All right, okay. that's our show. <laughs> Clashing saber. Uh, all right, so I clashed my saber, um, and we're going to go back around to our number ones. Steve, you're up. Number one of the bottom three? Yep. So your least favorite thing about the movie. And I use this because I don't think it fits with the portrayal of the character. I don't. I don't like how it makes her look or feel in the moment. Uh-oh. It's the scene in the Death Star where Luke in Stormtrooper armor comes into Leia's cell and she's just kind of, I know she's kind of waking up, but she's just lounging there like a damsel in distress <laughs> from previous eras of sci-fi. And that's not the strong warrior Leia that we know. Hmm. That's interesting. I've never really thought I of it that way. That but... see- 
Yeah, that scene is not the one I would have thought you would have picked out for that, but that's an interesting It's interesting subtle place to pick. But it doesn't like the way like the way she's holding herself and just lounging, I'm like that mm, that that's a different Leia. The Burt Reynolds pose doesn't do it for you? <laughs> no, no, not really. It, just, no. it doesn't create the strong one. <laughs> well, I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> I was not expecting that. Especially because right after that, like she's grabbing the gun from Han. She's like into the fly shoot cowboy and just like <sighs> she's a no take charge kind of girl. So. Does oh, her immediate quip right after that of aren't you a little short for a stormtrooper, does that save it or does that make it worse for you? That saves it. Okay. So like I like the quip. Like she's she's demonstrating, I'm not scared of you. I'm I'm in charge here. I hate the way Luke ogles her from within the stormtrooper outfit with those terrible like head turns like to forty five degrees. It's like, like dude, a dog. Yeah, like learn to act through a mask. It's okay, man. <laughs> he, he was young. He was doing it for the money. <laughs> so in the, they came out with like the the young adult versions of the original trilogy, um, and there the the a new hope one is called uh, Princess Scoundrel and a Farm Boy or something of that that nature. Um, maybe not that order. Um, but if I remember correctly, Leia in that one, of course, there's the interrogation scene. She was waking up from being drugged, basically, is how they explained away kind of the waking up uh, kind of lazily damsel in distress kind of thing. Well, she wasn't sure. really herself. So, I mean, that's a that's a possible headcanon uh, of how it could have gone. But, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. And, and kind of the fact that they felt that they had to explain it. Yeah, it does kind of point out oh, that it's interesting. Mm. Okay, that's uh, are, it. Are, are we? Uh, I'm trying to put a pin on, on on what the issue is. Is it the po- Is it her physical posing, or is it her demeanor, or is it a combination? I'm not sure. I quite understand. It it's really the physical pose. How she's she's just she's laying there. She comes up on one arm in this. It's like almost, a seductive kind of thing going I, I on. I was going to say sultry, yeah, but it's yeah. kind of I'm lounging here in a very sultry, seductive. Like it's it doesn't it feels a little out of place. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Eh. Picking nits. I mean, bottom three. Come on. Hey, that's what we're here for. <laughs> yep. All right, Lindsay, swing into you. Uh, mine. We had already. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It, we did. Yeah. How whiny Lucas. Anybody else have anything oh, to say on whiny Luke? I, the he gets only it from thing, his father. <laughs> that's fair. I think the only part he's particularly whiny at is the whole uh, going to pick up power converters at Tasha Station. Like I don't see the rest of the characters being particularly whiny. Like he try he's trying to weasel out of a deal with his uncle. Um because I don't, I don't know if I never realized it before, but it seems that the two characters had come to an agreement that Luke was able to go to the Academy at X time, and he was trying to get out early. Like, he wants to go now rather than wait for the next harvest, and Owen is like, but that's what I need you the most, is this one last thing. And he said, look, I'm willing to uphold my end of the deal, um, if, and I just need you to make it one more season. And that, that's when Luke gets a little huffy. But I don't, I don't know that. I never really feel like it's as whiny as people make it out to be. Is it just that 
the few instances of it are pretty strong or that's what I feel like. Yeah. Cause I, I, Brandon, when you're talking about having him more like Anakin from attack of the clones, I'm like big red flags wave off, man. Absolutely not. Because Luke doesn't have a temper tantrum. He doesn't throw things across the, the garage. I mean, he's not happy and he's, and he just wants to get off the planet. But, I mean, I feel like that's the point is he's looking for that adventure. He's eager for it. And then Baru sticks up for him and says, look, everybody he likes and knows is gone. And it's just us. And he's just sitting here wilting in the sun, basically. And like, can't we just let him go? And and Owen wants to keep him on for just one more season because he's just not sure he's ready to be out there on his own yet. I don't know. I Maybe it's the, the, the dad, the old man dad coming out. But I really felt... <laughs> for Owen and Baru in this film more than I ever have before. So maybe I should get circle back around, but Lindsay, what is, uh, what's the problem with the, the whininess? Like what's what are the, what are the examples thereof and, and how egregious are they? It's even after tattooing, you know, I think there's the obvious examples of, you know, when he's arguing with Lars and then of course, when he doesn't really mourn the loss of his two parent figures, and just goes off on the adventure. There's the other obvious example of when they're leaving the Death Star. And Leia, who just watched her entire planet get blown up, now has to go and drape the nice blanket over the boy's <laughs> shoulder. Because he just lost the guy who he's worked with for two days. Um, so elements like that. But then even just when they're running through the Death Star, you know, you have Leia, who for the most part is pretty... I don't want to say calm, cool, and collected, um, but she's definitely the most collected of the three, and she's able to push through. You have Han, who he is brave and daring and does stupid things. And then you have Luke, who kind of just screams, and <laughs> <laughs> and that's about it. <laughs> so, so it's really elements like that. I think once we get to Yavin, that's when he starts to step up and we see that difference in him. But everything up till that point, He's just, he's, I don't really see him being the hero that everyone makes him out to be at that point. Hmm. I feel like Yavin in that moment when he's just kind of like, um, he's talking to Han, he's like, you're turning your back on them. It's like, okay, relax, bud. Okay. That's when I feel like he's kind of at the most obnoxious of human being, but like super dramatic. Yeah. But I think that's a different I, I equate that more to the acting choices than the character choices. Um, I think mm. Mark Hamill, mm. I think Mark Hamill plays. I mean, think of the way um, when they're in the docking bay control room and R2 first identifies where Leia is in the cell block and 3PO says, I'm afraid she's scheduled to be terminated. And, and Mark Hamill goes, Oh no. Like he gets man. How is it possible? It's like, all right, calm down because the very next line is is um harrison ford going what are you talking about and it's just kind of a comparison between mark hamill who is overacting his brains out and harrison ford who is inhabiting this character and actually is playing it to kind of like a really smooth and believable character i feel like it's more the acting choices than it is the actual what's on the page kind of things that that are tending towards those things i mean you're a hundred percent right about the whole uh, escaping the Death Star, consoling the boy who just lost the guy he met. But even that, I could kind of understand why Luke feels that way. I feel like we get into trouble when we compare that to the way Leia should be feeling. Like, 
having just watched her planet die. And if you think about it, Leia watches Alderaan explode and the camera doesn't even cut back to her. It cuts to Obi-Wan for his reaction. So the film is telling us her, her feelings and her reactions are not nearly as important as these guys. So that's a disservice that's outside of the characters themselves. And that's more the filmmaking decisions that are, that are causing some issues there. That's actually a good point. I never thought of it in terms of the acting choice. But acting choice or writing, it's still a little too whiny. It's got to be my number one. Fair enough. Yeah. I'll give you that. All right, Drew. Go for it. This is, oh my gosh, this is so tough. Um, I had a lot of candidates for number one. And the first thing I wrote down was those background actors who have no idea what to do with their time. But I feel like we've talked about that in other films, how just George Lucas has no idea how to direct people who, who don't have speaking lines going on. If you think about like all the people who don't have lines in the Death Star conference room sequence, um, all of the rebel technicians on Yavin during the actual assault on the Death Star, none of them look like they have any idea what they're doing in those sequences. Nobody's pushing buttons. Nobody's talking to each other on radios. Nobody's doing They're just kind of all looking at whoever's talking and being like, is this a real take or is this a dress rehearsal? Because I'm not sure what I'm doing. So that was kind of bothersome, but I was like, you know what? We've kind of talked about that a lot. Um, Brendan, I need you to get the novelization out. I am on it. I need you to find the scene where... Oh, I need to find it in my notes because I don't have it. I don't have it really identified very well. There's a part where Vader is talking to Tarkin, and I, I think it's the scene where he says, "I told you she would never consciously betray the rebellion." Where after the line is finished, Vader continues to gesticulate wildly with his hands, like he is clearly saying more things. And I desperately want to know what those more things are. And I don't understand how that shot made it into the final cut of the movie where he says like seven words and those hands just keep moving and they keep moving. And I'm like, what is happening? Somebody, where is the director in this film and what is he doing? Because he's clearly not paying attention to what's going on. So I don't know if you can find that sequence real quick to see if it's in. Oh, man. I'm going to say it's about halfway through the story. I'm trying to find it in my notes, the spot, because I wrote it down and I was like, what is happening? So Let me do a control find, gesticulate. So it's my no- notes number 71. I don't know if that helps you at all. Oh, Lord. Well, it is in the <laughs> 170s. Um, so if you have the, I'm looking at the original um, 97 uh, edition of. The paperback, blah, blah, blah. Um, so it says, uh, are they way the Dark Lord demanded? They've just completed the jump to hyperspace. No doubt they're at this moment. No, this is too, too, too late, too late. Too late? You need to, yeah, too, you need back up to the scene where Tarkin orders um, Leia to be terminated immediately. Oh, okay. Um, it's right after Luke does the training with the, the, uh, the remote. Oh, and hey, look, note number 70. Right before it says, Obi-Wan Kenobi looks like he's sweating, or maybe it's the glue holding his wig on. Whatever it is, it's pretty shiny. You really are enjoying that Blu-ray edition. Oh my gosh, let me tell you what. It was, when I, that Blu-ray set came out, I did the happiest of happy dances I think I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> Considering how long it took to get the DVD release, the DVD release for the classic trilogy was like, what, 2004? And DVDs had been around for several years at that point. I think VHS had stopped its production run in 2002. Maybe. Pop quiz. Do you guys know the uh, the the last major motion picture to get a VHS release? 
Oh, wow. What a good pop quiz. Wasn't what it is it? Episode yep. one? Nope. No? I'll give you a hint. It is a Disney movie. Um, Five, four, three, two, one. Oh, Christmas it's The Incredibles. Incredibles. Oh. That's really? right. It's The Incredibles. Yeah, I think even Attack of the Clones had a, D- had a VHS release at some point. I think yeah. about that. Let me, again, let's go to the Google. I'm also stalling for time to see if Brandon can find I'm, that page. I'm he may trying, have quit. No, 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 no. I'm trying to find it. I'm at the 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 scene where Leia gives uh, Dantooine as the name. Oh, you're getting closer. Uh, okay, yeah. Okay. So okay. So we're gonna we're gonna keep going, and I'm go- I'm gonna find it, and we're gonna circle back to this. My bottom number one is every time a C-3PO talks. <laughs> That's it. What? <laughs> he annoys me. Well, well, I'm shocked. I thought you liked C-3PO. I think a major part of it. So you you guys remember the the toy cases that they had of the figures, and they had like R two and three PO. I, th- I think they might have like Vader's head or whatever. Y- and you like open it up, and it's got like slots for all of your action figures. Did you guys ever yeah, have a carrying case? Yeah, yeah, yeah the carrying case. What does I, that have to do with C three PO? I had the C three PO, and I'm clumsy, and I would always hit that stupid button on his mouth when I was trying to tell a story. <laughs> And I think I'm just resentful. <laughs> I think that's it. So Man, I, I noticed this time around that C-3PO talks a lot faster at the beginning of this movie than I think is reasonable. Like the way he gets out the line, don't call me a mindless philosopher, you overweight glob of grease. There's no way anybody heard that the first time they heard it and understood the words coming out of his mouth. I still don't think I understand what he's talking about. <laughs> I don't understand what's going on with C-3PO most of the time. Um, yeah, that was it. That's pretty simple. I found the scene now. Um, Did you? Yes. So you're talking about after... Uh, it means Tarkin, the last of our unresolved difficulties is about to be eliminated. Someone apparently received the missing data tapes, learned who transcribed them, and was trying to return them to her. We may be able to what? facilitate their meeting with the senator. I have no idea what that is. That's Vader. Yeah. That's what Vader says. So, okay. So, to back it up, um, mm-hmm. Tarkin says, terminate her immediately. And then Vader says, calm yourself, Tarkin. You would throw away our only link to the real rebel base so casually. She can still be of value to us. Uh, and, he, oh. and then there's a, a a beep, and that's when Tarkin goes, "What is it, sirs? We've captured a small freighter that was entering the remains of Alderaan. All of that stuff." Tarkin okay. looks puzzled. So, so immediately before that, does Vader have the line? I told you she would never consciously betray the rebellion. Uh, it. She lied. I mean, to it should be part of that conversation. It should be like the very like the first line or two of that. I told you. Yeah. Okay. So it says, um, "Then we are even in the first exchange of truce." I told you she would never betray the uh, betray the rebellion unless she thought her confession could somehow destroy us in the process. And then, Dark- okay, that's probably something along unless her confession, blah blah blah. That's yeah. probably what was part of the original dialogue that got manipulated or cut or something like that, and they just never refilmed a shorter interaction between the two actors. That kind of stuff has really stood out to me, like those kind of filmmaking moments of like, why are they making the choice to leave this kind of thing in versus versus edit it out? 
stood out a whole lot more. I feel like there's a lot of little things in there, but I feel like that kind of encapsulated my issue with some of the moments of craft in this film. We'll get to one or two moments of, of craft that are really, really good in a few minutes, I'm sure. But there are a couple of those moments that really stood out this time to say, you know what, a, another pass at this scene on the soundstage would have gone miles for these guys. And I don't know I don't know where the decision was made to not go back for some of these things or, or why certain decisions were made. And that was kind of one of them that really stood out as, as like, okay, clearly you guys changed dialogue for Vader because it does not match what the physical actor is doing on stage. Um, and I don't understand why. I've never noticed that before. I'm telling you, it's amazing how we can come back to a film that's that's 40-something years old. And for a community that is known to pick terrible nits, that we can still find things like that, that, that A, we've never seen, or B, don't clearly understand. You'd feel like this, you'd think this movie would have been picked to death. And it feels like it has been picked to death before, but obviously <laughs> we're almost there. <laughs> we're doing our job. I think it's one of those things where you just kind of start to see what you expect to be there uh, because you've seen the movie so many times and it takes like a kind of sitting down and watching it for an exercise like this to notice those little yeah. things. Uh, and you have to physically change what you're paying attention to because yeah. you know exactly what's going on. Yeah, for sure. All right, guys, it's time for the good stuff. We're getting to our number th top three. This is what we've yes. all been waiting for. Steve, I'm going to let you go for it first. What's your number three? Number three is the scene on the Falcon between oh, Tatooine yeah. and Alderaan. This is the first point where we get any real introduction to the mysticism behind the Force. Ooh. Both when... Obi-Wan senses Alderaan blowing up, but also in the training with Luke of reach out with your feelings and don't use your eyes. Your senses will betray you. This is our first actual on-screen introduction to it. It's mm, interesting. I think, honestly, okay, so spoiler alert, this is my number one, is just the Force in general, but specifically this moment because... In the Revenge of the Sith novelization, I just finished reading it, which if you haven't read it, it is beautiful. It's a beautiful book. Um, but it talks about Obi-Wan being the master of Suresu, um, which requires him to give himself completely over to the Force. And I think when you compare what we see in the prequels with all the great duels and the action, but this to this moment on the Falcon you really get a comparison of how the idea of, of centering on the force was lost because here he never, he never trains Luke on his stance. He never trains Luke on, you know, how to hold the blade or we don't want to ever see any of that. Everything is about the force. Uh, and, mm. and, and that's the focus. And really, if you look at, the the original trilogy overall all of luke's jedi training is primarily just about the force where i feel like in the prequels it was more so like you need to act this way to be a jedi um and, and that's why we connect with characters oh. like qui-gon um so much is because he harkens back to the future of the saga really um but what we originally saw um when when seeing like obi-wan training luke so yeah great moment 
I, I will highlight, and I, I hope you agree with this. Um, I think one of the reasons a lot of what we see Luke training, uh, Luke's training revolving around the force is because meditation scenes are really boring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's definitely fair. And, but I mean, if we take it just in the context that we have, and and not look at it just as a filmmaking thing. I know I, I always come back to this, but I find it very interesting that the one training scene we get in the prequels with Yoda is him training younglings with a lightsaber, and the one and when we see him in Empire training Luke, Luke never picks up a lightsaber. So I think that films at least. Well, yeah, in the films, um, and but but he does make rocks float. That's true. Moving rocks and wars not make one great. Yoda's great. Hmm. We're going to have so much. Well, Yoda's also terrible, don't forget. Yes. So. Yoda right. is somehow simultaneously both sides of the spectrum. And it's well, really It's almost confusing. like people change over 20 years. It's amazing, isn't it? <sighs> it's weird. <laughs> Deep sigh. It's, it's interesting that that's the moment there on the Falcon is the totality of his training with Obi-Wan. Like that... I don't know. It can't be more than 30 minutes in universe or so of time. While Obi-Wan's still alive, at least. While he's alive. While he's You're right. You're right. But like that's his introduction, and that's it. <laughs> yep. That's it. He doesn't get, you know, how do you make a lightsaber? Where do they come from? It's like, oh, here's your father's lightsaber. Um, I've had it in a box. And he instantly hooks it to his belt, which is kind of cool. But, yeah, that's kind of weird that it's. That's it. That's what he gets is that moment of focus. But Bernard, I'm not sure I understand your your connection to Yoda training the Padawans because I think those scenes are very much the same. Are you thinking they're different? Because for for Obi-Wan, it's he he's actually giving a soliloquy on the force and on giving yourself over to the force where I think the way we're supposed to read that scene in attack of the clones is more that they're working on forms and parries and, and things of that nature. Does that make sense? I understand your argument. I just, I I don't agree. I don't think that's what the scene in attack of the clones is, is showing us, but maybe I'm applying a bit more to it than the scene is offering because you've got little kids there who, you're never going to be able to control the difference between forms one and two and three for them. So for, for that exercise to be a technical exercise doesn't make sense. That would be like me trying to get my, my five year old to, to do the proper kendo forms. And that's just never going to work. Um, I think at that point he Yoda is trying to get the kids to experience the force and to, to, to recognize what it feels like to have an encounter with the force. Luke, I think as an older student needs to be told what to, what it feels like so that he can clearly identify it. You know, just like Yoda says, you have to unlearn what you have learned. It's because he has built so many of those preconceived notions of how the universe works around him. And Yoda has to break those down for him. This is Obi-Wan doing that very first thing. It's like, well, the force can control your emotions. And Luke asks the questions, you mean it obeys your commands? And he goes, well, sort of partially. So I, I find those two scenes similar in their structure, but just the Luke is in a less receptive space as a student because he's just not prepared that way. 
Yeah, I mean, I can see that. Um, and, and that's the hard thing, right? Is there, we're looking at different teachers, we're looking at different students. Uh, sure. Which, which complicates which complicates it. I think the big thing for me, just putting the Attack of the Clone scene aside and just looking at this particular scene is just the idea that when it comes down to it, this is kind of the thesis statement. Like Steve was mentioning, this is like the, the, the big statement on the force that we get, you know? Um, and when it comes down to it, like that's what being a Jedi is about. Um, and, and it's not about necessarily the, and, and see, that's kind of the, the thing with this It's not about the saber and the flashy, you know, and the, the blocking the laser bolts. That's kind of the, the thing that catches our eye. But as we have sat with it these so many years, uh, it is really about the force. And that's the part that connects with us. Steve, when you saw this scene, like, originally in, in theaters, um, were, you, were you like, oh, man, the force? Or was it more so like, hey, that lightsaber is pretty cool? <laughs> Both, duh. <laughs> in equal measure. So, uh- obviously lightsabers are cool but even to that point we've seen the lightsaber in a previous scene so now you're just seeing it again but now in action so this scene for me was a lot more about the force and and experiencing through storytelling the the mysticism that they're they're creating around this because i'm going to augment drew's point a little bit what makes the jedi special is their connection to the force and in it's probably newer canon i'm not sure it was in the eu uh canon at the time but lightsabers are said to also be a way to help jedi focus on the force so yoda training young young ones younglings with lightsabers may partly be about okay establish their martial form in in the combat art but also, if that's a tool to help them focus themselves in the force, there's a point to it there, too. So this scene on the Falcon, it sets all this up for the next you know, 42 years now. Is it's, the, it's, the, it's the benchmark. It's the basis for what makes the Jedi special. That's awesome. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right, Lindsay, let's go to you. What's your number three? Uh, my number three is really that... I always felt like we spend the perfect amount of time in each location. And this is something that I'm feeling more and more now with the, I think the misconception with modern films is that you need to spend an incredible amount of time with every single character to build up a real connection to them. And in doing so, we end up having to jump around a lot in different movies, or maybe we spend too long in a, particular location whereas this we spend just as much time on Tatooine as we need and we don't meet Han Solo too early we have a great introduction to him as soon as we don't need to be on Tatooine anymore we go to the Millennium Falcon as soon as we get our bearings there and we understand that we go to the Death Star we have this fun adventure we get familiar with that now it's time to go to Yavin and we really do 
get a good feel for where we are in each particular moment, both physically, mentally, everything. And then we go on and we can explore something else. And it just seems like the perfect time where it's not too short that we don't understand it. And it's not too long that we get bored with it. Wow. That's a really good point. That's amazing. Yeah. There's only like what, four or five different locales that we ever visit in the entire film. And I think in Rogue One, you get four locales in the first 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Well, and in Rogue One, we talked about how that really took away from the beginning of that movie, right? It really does, yeah. And here, you, I mean, one thing I find really interesting uh, about the, the setup of this movie is you don't even meet Luke until like 20 minutes into the movie. Which is crazy yeah. that you don't meet your protagonist for such a long time that you're just basically with these droids setting up this doing world building. Um, but yeah, and, and Lindsay, on, on top of that, I think we we get we understand what the galaxy is um, mm. purely from this movie. Like just those those four basic settings that that we have, we. Look, I mean, look what we've expanded out to, you know, um, and and it's because, like you said, we made those connections with those places and those people because they were used so wisely. And I, w- I wonder if the, part of that was a limitation of like, well, we can on- only afford these four sets or whatever, because when you go to the prequels, you know, you're you're going around all over the place. So could be benefit of of. The benefit you hmm. get from limitations. Yeah, it could be a happy accident. I'd be interested in reading the original script and finding out if there were more locations or if there were more different jumps, something like that, to see what he really had intended. But if this is close to that original draft and he really did intend to spend as much time in each location as he did before jumping... I think that's a real, real testament to his ability as a storyteller. Uh, the original, original draft is very different from Vastly this Vastly different. It is mu- it's an entirely different motion picture. Um, <laughs> for good reason. Um, <laughs> it's so bonkers, but, by the way. If, if you guys out there have not seen the comic book that they, they developed based on the first draft of the Star Wars like guardian of the wills volume one or whatever it's called it it will blow your freaking mind wide open it's doesn't make any sense now i think that this version of like limited location kind of tatooine death star final battle is pretty true through once they they narrowed down the storyline pretty well but brandon to your point about not meeting luke until 20 minutes in which is a really uh, astute observation like and that was almost not the case you know that scene where luke is out in the desert looking up and seeing the space battle where the devastator is is capturing the tanta four um was going to be in the middle of that fight and you're just gonna be like who is this person i don't understand what this is and you don't figure it out for another 15 minutes or so and it could have been really really different movie if they had left that in this movie was so saved in the editing room that it it, it boggles the mind that's true Absolutely. All right. Drew, you're up. What are we talking about again? You're number we're, three. Oh, gosh. We're only a number three of the best. Okay. Um, mine's a whole lot less personally important and, and impactful than, than what you guys have identified already. Um, 
in the Falcon escape sequence, when they're 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 taking off, and there there are four Sentry Tie Fighters. Let's let's be clear, four Tie Fighters as Sentries is not reasonable. They should have way more pe- way more guys out there guarding the Death Star. Um, I never noticed how little action actually occurs, but the feeling of tension and excitement rockets through the roof. And the way in which they did that is by having all of the characters look left and look right. And they cut so fast and they, they, they trick you into thinking that things are happening all around them because Leia's looking left and then Chewie's looking right. And if you take your mind out of the film for a moment and put yourself on the soundstage and just imagine those directions. Okay, George Lucas goes, okay, now everybody look left. Now everybody look right. Look real scared. And the way it's pieced together raises your blood pressure so quickly because you're like they're under attack and they need to get out of here but if you think about like the shots the exterior shots where you're actually following the tie fighters flying around and you notice the millennium falcon is completely stationary there's no ducking and weaving there's no motion at all to the falcon so all of the tension is created just by using close shots of the characters looking tense looking left looking right Swinging the chairs back and forth with the turrets. It's just that that motion, that that illusion of action is so incredibly well done that it is not something that was well was well replicated later on. And here's kind of what I mean by that. In watching Rebels, you Hera shut your it, mouth, sir. Okay, first off, number one, I finished the show. Thank you very much. Number two, none of you prepared me. For what they did to, to the love of my life, Kanan, and I will never forgive you I'm okay for not warning me about that. Number three, Hera is described as the most amazing pilot in the first couple seasons. And the first two seasons of her piloting actions boil down to slightly bobbing left and right. That's really all you ever see her do behind the flight sticks. And when you compare that kind of approach to what we're seeing in this 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 uh, escape from the Death Star, the one in the, in the film is so much more incredibly powerful, and it's just because of the way it's pieced together. There's nothing else that I can I can think of that that reminds me of the same kind of frenetic energy that is well deserved. We have a lot of movies and a lot of sequences, even in Star Wars, that are crazy back and forth that don't need to be, and we have a lot of sequences that should be action packed that are n- that are not met with the same activity. Of the camera. Like, if you think about the Duel of the Fates from The Phantom Menace, you have even, like, the first shot of them all fighting in the hangar bay with the Naboo Starfighters is way... The camera's way up in the back corner, so the three fighters are very small in the frame. The camera's not moving. Nothing is happening except the three of them fighting way down in the bottom right-hand corner. And that doesn't make sense. We should be up in their faces. We should be able to see them sweat and fight and be all up in each other's face. And we get those moments, but it's not consistent. And the, the battle here in space outside um, of the Death Star is so consistently well done all the way through. From the moment the TIE Fighters appear on the screen to the, the time the last one blows up, it's just back and forth. And everybody's moving and everybody's contributing and doing something and saying lines and making things happen. And you feel like you're in the middle of it. And it never felt better than this most recent watch through. Well, and it goes back to exactly what you were saying before about this movie being saved in the editing room. Absolutely. Right. Because, I mean, if we if we roll with your idea of, you know, George directing, look left, look right. Like there's either 
only a few takes that they had to work off of and they had to make it look like magic or there was a whole bunch of takes that they had to sort through and figure out what was good and what wasn't and still make it look like magic. And I think either one of those is equally impressive. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really this, this sequence was one of my favorites this time around. Obviously, it's the, my third favorite sequence, as a matter of fact. What? <laughs> and the, the music you get with it and everything. Yeah, it's it's pretty perfect. It's pretty much everything's perfect. firing on all the cylinders. In this, ah, and I see what you did. There's. There. I don't understand. Oh, hey, I get it now. <laughs> Late oh. to my own joke. That's awesome. Let's move on. All right. Uh. Is that is it my turn? Yeah, I think it's it my turn. Yes, your turn. All right. Oh, speaking of keeping up with the action, come on. All right, guys, this is gonna surprise. My top's not gonna surprise anybody. Um, if if you know me, you know I'm here for the characters. It's always about the characters, and my so number my number three is Han freaking Solo, guys. I always and forever. I have <laughs> literally always loved him in this movie. From the second he comes on screen, I wanted to be Han Solo. I never really connected with Luke. Um, I appreciate his story, but I just don't have a personal connection um, to that character. And if if we only got Han in A New Hope, he would probably be my favorite character. I think once you expand out from this, I don't want to say he necessarily loses something, but everybody else's story around him gets so much better and we get just such a great complete arc for him in this, this movie that you really don't need anything else. Uh, I think it's just, it's executed by Harrison perfectly. Uh, it's written well, it's edited well, like just everything, everything about Han Solo works. I, I mean, guys, this is what I used to play when I was a kid. I had the Han Solo at indoor blaster and I would, pretend my hallways were the Death Star. And it, it was never, even when I had my lightsaber, it was never Luke. I was always Han. Um, and so, yeah, Han Solo. Han freaking Solo. <laughs> That's it. I love him. Okay. All right. I kind of want to see you dressed up as Han Solo at your wedding now. <gasps> please. If you can <laughs> if you can manage to convince... That was the most sincere awe please I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> it was adorable. If you can convince my significant other, I I would do it. I would. Win. What if it doesn't all... even have doesn't even have to be for the ceremony, but for the reception afterwards? What if we all just got like the the belt holsters? Oh, Somebody like slung down on the side. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Brooke, don't listen to this episode. No, I'll make sure she doesn't. It's all good. Actually, she doesn't listen to this show. Come yeah, on, let's be real. <laughs> Let's be real. That's fair. Fun uh, is even the one and only point I would disagree with you on is that he doesn't have that number one draw to him as the saga goes on. For me, no matter how many movies they make, Han will always be my number one. Hmm. hmm. Yeah, it's not that I don't like him in the other movies. It's just. I don't feel like he his character ever hits on all cylinders like it does in mm-hmm. New Hope. All right. Yeah. I could give that. Yeah. yeah. I, I think in, in the other movies, it's a lot more of like how Han feeds into the other character stories where mm-hmm. here you get Han's story. Um, and, and that's one of the things that I really liked about Solo is like it, it just focused on Han and Chewie, even with all the other stuff going around. Uh, 
because yeah, I had that connection to Han. So, all right, number twos, Steve, go. <sighs> it is, and, <laughs> oh, and this wait. will, this has similar to my number three. This is similar because of what it represents and what it sets up for us. But it's the scene between Obi Wan and Luke in Ben's hut. Mm. One, we get to see the lightsaber for the very first time, but the expose from Kenobi about his father and the Empire, and we hear the Clone Wars, and you now, he's spent, you know, what, 20, 30 minutes setting up the movie, and now we get to understand some of the history of how things got to this point, that there is this this epic history behind all that that's created this horrible situation with this dictatorial government in place and and you know your father was a spice freighter it, a, a, a spice freighter he was a spice freighter <laughs> interesting um, father stole a freighter and the, the spice must flow um different different franchise sorry very um, very close though but even even to this day watch that scene and and when ben is talking about describing Anakin and he's talking about the empire, like the, the emotion that there's pain in his face about everything he went through in, in what he's not telling Luke. And it's just, it's gotten to be more and more of an intense scene over time, but it does, it is the lightsaber, you know, Brendan expected that to come in here at some point. I'm honestly surprised this isn't your number one, but yeah. Oh, then you'll love my number one. All right. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, this this uh, this really sets it all up. I just this this creates this is the scene that outfits the universe, if you will. Mm. Have y'all seen the the videos um, where they cut in scenes from like Revenge of the Sith? Into, yes. Yeah. And yes. like it just so beautifully goes, done. Oh, it'll Do fit. not. A- no, do not approve. What? Hundred percent. Hate those sequences. Um, I, no, bad. We shouldn't like them. We shouldn't encourage that. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate what they're trying to do. They didn't hit for me, so I, they're, they're just they didn't work for me. But, eh. See, I really like them, and though Steve, I do want to uh, once again sacrifice one of my points and piggyback off of someone else's. Because this is really similar to my number two, but I think for different reasons. My number two is that I love that this movie gives us just the information that we need and it doesn't over explain everything. So in this scene, it doesn't overburden you. Yeah. It doesn't. It it gives you these little nuggets where, you know, Nanyol me sat there wondering, wait, what was the Clone Wars? You know, I don't necessarily oh, need yeah. to know. It kept me interested, you know, but this entire movie and this scene especially gives you just enough information where, like you said, it doesn't overburden you and it keeps your imagination going and it keeps the interest alive. You know, looking back on it, we know it's because they had this entire epic saga built out ready to go and they had to confine as much as they could to one story i understand that out of universe element to it but watching the movie that is such a strong point for me where it's like i totally get why this captured 
the entire world in 1977. Absolutely. I think that's exactly the reason I don't care for those, those other edits that try and include like the overdub of Anakin and Obi-Wan screaming at each other on Mustafar is because it's a conversation between an old man and a young kid. And we're introduced to all of that information at once, just like Luke is. I mean, think about how, how quick Luke's idea of his identity is betrayed in that particular scene, where not only does he learn that somebody else knew his father, but everything he knew about his father was a lie. He wasn't a, a pilot on a, a, space, a spice freighter. Boy, that's a hard phrase to say out loud. And... In fact, his father was a Jedi Knight. Think about how quickly he has to accept that fact in context of the rest of the universe, where the Jedi were branded as the traitors of the galaxy and tried to overthrow the government. So he lightning fast adopts the fact that his father is a traitor to the government. Um, He accepts the weapon, hangs it right on his belt. In the very next scene, it's on him. So he has so quickly adopted everything Obi-Wan has said. And it's the only time in any of these films that the impact of what somebody says is given time to breathe in in the audience's mind. Like Obi-Wan sits back and says he was a good friend. And you think about that. You're given time to digest that. And you see it on Alec Guinness's face. And that kind of moment doesn't exist really anywhere else in these movies. And the reason those things like when he says, yeah, I fought in the Clone Wars like your father. I was once a Jedi Knight like your father. Like those things resonate because we're just like Luke in that moment of going, oh, what 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 does that mean? So I really like the sequence as well. It's not on my list, but but it it really it stood out this time, especially the connection. And and I will we will talk about this in a little bit between Luke and Owen and Baru and the devastating hit that that relationship takes. Um starts here i think yeah no it, it it's great all right drew go for it you're number two okay let's take the heavy stuff off for a minute again um the film opens up in pretty dramatic fashion but i think one of the best sequences in here are the stormtroopers when they are assaulting the rebels on the tantive four now the stormtroopers have gone on to gain a pretty bad rep as uh, unable to hit anything, targetless, uh, totally bad at their job, can't get anything done. But in those first two to three minutes of this film, they are terrifying creatures. And that was amazing to watch. Think about the lethal efficiency they have of breaking down that door and they just start mowing down the rebels. When you look at how many of them start falling, they're everywhere. The whole, the whole hallway is covered with, in them. And then you have the big bad storms through, like appears out of the fog. You know, Darth Vader steps through. But what you don't r- realize until you're, you're watching the margins of the film, and you may help that this is in widescreen rather than full screen nowadays, the stormtroopers are busy clearing the hallway for Vader. Like they're literally pushing bodies to the side so that he has a place to walk. And that kind of brutality and and I don't want to say disrespect for human life, but it really is that kind of callousness towards human life really stood out and that these guys are a a a mobile force for killing like and that is their job. And in these first few minutes, they are so good at it. 
it's a shame that is betrayed a little later on in the movie where they're turned turned into these doofy little characters who don't know what they're doing. And that's a problem that occurs later on in the Death Star and maybe even on Tatooine. But these first few moments of of their brutal efficiency and maybe it's just representational of the Empire at large is really, really striking. And I compare it to something like in the new movies with the First Order where we I don't know that we get a really good sense of what the First Order is like. We get a sense of what Kylo Ren is like and how he's a villain and he's a monster and he's brutal and he's, you know, off the cuff will go and destroy computer terminals and elevators and masks and all kinds of things. But the rest of the guys around him in the First Order don't feel as threatening as he does. And I don't you know. You don't if think you get that out of the first scene at the village? I mean, I, I don't particularly. I think at that we're, we're drawing a contrast between the, fir- the stormtroopers following orders and Finn's inability to do so. And so that particular uh, element is so strongly on display that it doesn't really matter. They could, have been, they could have been killing people we knew were bad, and Finn still wouldn't have been able to do it, and it wouldn't have mattered. But I think about, like, how, I think about how everybody is, is very afraid of Kylo Ren. Um, like when he is destroying that one computer con- terminal, we're watching the aide who had to deliver the news kind of flinch in response. Nobody treats Vader that way in this movie, in this movie. No one's particularly afraid of him. Like, think about how the, 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 conference, <laughs> the conference scene goes where he has to literally choke a dude out in order to get his point across. And even then, Tarkin has him on a short leash. So Vader's not the real threat. The Empire is the real threat in this film. And I really, that really kind of stood out to me here um, in, in a very shocking way. And, and there's a really cool thing. Again, I know I hate to keep harping on, on the craft of this film because I don't feel like it's everybody's favorite elements of these things. But it's kind of what's standing out to me in the, the past few years is how these movies are made. There's an awesome tracking shot. Well, maybe a tracking shot is the wrong definition. But where Leia is in cuffs and the troopers are walking her down the hallway... She turns the corner and walks down another hallway and she turns another corner and, and, and it's finally brought to face to face with Vader. And you think about how the camera has to come down the hallway, move to the left and then moves up a hallway. It's really orchestrated very beautifully to show this efficiency of going from one place to the other. And she's got the, this phalanx of stormtroopers who are guiding her and she's got no freedom. She's completely taken away. But she's also in this stark white dress surrounded by stark white armor in this stark white hallway and then bang, there's Vader in his black armor and just the way it's constructed is so beautifully done to get your attention and to, to draw your eyes and say, Oh man, this is a little bit scary because it looks so different. Uh, The first 10 minutes of this movie absolutely blew my mind that I, I don't think I've ever appreciated the first 10 minutes of this film. Like I ever have. You covered a lot there. So like specifically it's like the first 10 minutes are, what worked because what you, you number two yeah you pretty much covered the whole movie there the stormtroopers being violent and uh uh fear inspiring which they don't do anywhere else in the saga basically except for one uh, moment in empire strikes back but we'll talk about that in a month well i would say they do in rogue one in that scene in Jedha. yeah in the scene in Jeddah, uh i feel like Oh, that's a good point. You know, just because it's kind of what you were talking about with Vader. It's just that presence there. It's not necessarily what they do so much as it's just like you feel the fear of everybody else, which 
is what you get here in this this first scene in A New Hope because if you don't have those those shots of the rebels' faces, just knowing they're gonna die. You oh know? yeah, you're absolutely it's right. So they good. knew they weren't getting out of there. And and honestly, like you you have to wonder: Are they thinking? Vader's coming here and we just saw what he did in that hallway a minute ago or is it the the fear of the stormtroopers and honestly I think it's the fear of the stormtroopers I don't think they knew Vader was coming on board there but you know a legion of stormtroopers is about to bust through that door and you're not as good of a shot and there's a lot more of them than there is of you I don't know. Those the, some of the rebels in that hallway were probably some of the same ones who escaped Vader from the uh, above Scarif. Oh, that's a good point. So you know there's like two or three of those guys who are like, oh, I know how this is going to end and it's not going to go well. Well, and it's crazy because like Vader doesn't even have to do anything because like you said, they're just clearing him out. I mean, it's oh, that man. overwhelmingness so of the, the Empire. There's just so many of them that, yeah. you know, what are you going to do about it? So then when you get to the end, even though you've had them as comedic relief before, you have enough in there with the with with Kenobi's mark uh, remark on uh, the Sandcrawler about only Imperial stormtroopers are this accurate, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, that kind of thing. You have enough of them being intimidating um, that, like you said, it builds up the Empire. So when you get to blowing up the Death Star, it's not just this super weapon has been destroyed, but it's it's the Empire has been defeated. Yeah, yeah, yeah you really feel and understand why that's why they're bad guys like you get that established so early on and i really appreciated that yeah that's good that's good all right um i think it's your number two brandon all right us. once again this is not gonna surprise anybody it's leia y'all leia oh, mic drop i'm out i'm done thank you <laughs> you just oh jesus <laughs> yep leia nope. i I mean, she, she's just a badass. It, the way she just takes over when she goes in that hallway and there's these two buffoons just like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing here, but I'm going to save a princess. <laughs> and she's like, mm, let me show you how this is done. If you would just step aside, please, sir. And I mean, she just and, and also, I mean, credit to Carrie Fisher. There is a presence every time that she is on screen from, from that very first moment with Vader and even without the context of rogue one. And I mean, that adds a lot to it because you, you know that he knows that she's lying. Like it, it's a lot more clear, but you have this petite little girl up against this dude in big black armor that you're not quite sure exactly what he is, but you know, you're supposed to be scared of him. And she like, doesn't even flinch. You have the fact that she sees her planet blow up and she's able to be resilient through that. I think just her character across the whole saga, but it's, you know, it all comes back to this movie is awe inspiring, honestly. I don't think anyone, even Drew, could argue with Leia being one of the best things about this movie. Hmm. He's gonna prove me wrong. I feel like that's a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> I dare you. You know what stood out to me this time was uh, I imagined w- when um, think about when when Leia first encounters Tarkin. You know, I I re- should have recognized your foul stench when I was brought on board. 
Um, I don't know if these two characters had met since, but think about if the last time they met was in Princess Le- Leia, Princess of Alderaan, at the dinner table sequence, where Tarkin kind of drops in unexpectedly, and the whole family has to put on this charade in order to keep Tarkin in the dark of what's really going on. Mm-hmm. And con- contrast and compare her performance in that sequence to when she's finally able to let down all of those guards and shields and finally reveal what she really thinks to Tarkin there on aboard the Death Star, how how awesome that probably felt for that character. Yeah, that would be really legit. Lindsay, was it Bloodline that mentioned the the accent change and how she was basically mimicking Tarkin to kind of? It him? was, yeah, yeah. That was a great. Oh, really? Yeah, it, it's 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 like a throwaway line, but it, it mentions that the reason her accent changes there is, is she's basically making fun of Tarkin. Uh, oh, well, okay. Sure. It's one of those little things. It's like, all right. I mean, I didn't need it, but it it was kind of cool. Um, Steve, your opinion on Leia and why do you think she's awesome? Because of Carrie Fisher. <laughs> that is, that is correct. <laughs> Thank you. Nice. All right. I, it, it 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 kind of comes down to that. I, I if if you haven't, if you guys or listeners have not gone to see the original script reads for Star Wars and look at the other potentials we had for Leia, oh, you will understand man. what Carrie brought to this and the bullets we dodged <laughs> <laughs> by by having her. It it. We we are just simply blessed that Carrie took this role and became Princess Leia for us. I, I don't know if I can put it any other way. We are blessed. Mm. That's very well said. I think we can we can end Star Wars there. That's it. That's we don't <laughs> even need episode nine anymore, guys. It's all complete. The circle is now complete. I'm gonna get it anyway. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> I'm a glutton. What you know, can I since say? they've gone through all the since they've gone through all the effort and all. Yeah, I'll, I mean, I am a shill, so I, I I have to be there. I'm legally obligated. Let's go to our number ones, Steve. I, I'm what I'm really excited about this. Of Star Wars? It is. Don't the, let me down. It is the ceremony on Yavin. Oh wow! That's I, a shocker. You I mean, I now like, I agree. It's up there. I just didn't now, see that one coming. Part of it is the size and scope of the scene that they portray for you. This giant ancient Masasi temple and the 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 ivy that's growing and the the hundreds and hundreds of people in the room. But you want to know the who who is the Stand out in this scene for me. Go ahead and try and guess. Oh, the, man. The one person who makes this scene my number one. I feel like it's a trick question. It's got to be Chewbacca. It's Wedge Antilles, Hero of the Republic. Oh, my God. Go home, <laughs> Drew. You're drunk. <laughs> really close. You're really close. See? I mean, it would have been Porkins, but... Mm. <laughs> <laughs> or one else. Saint Jack Porkins. <laughs> 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 is it Patriot state of uh, top people top men sorry <laughs> is it Thane Kyrell nope Brandon are you just googling background characters who are in no 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 Thane Kyrell there 
it wasn't he i think you're right yeah because like i think he i think the thing they did was he was there and then sienna was uh in return of the jedi uh, in the big procession when uh the emperor arrives what are you talking about? You need Lost to read Lost Stars, Stars dude. Get on your bloody uh, great game. Guys, I just finished Rebels. Give me a freaking break. <laughs> this is Star Wars. You don't get breaks. Better. Hey, I do have I do have a throne room question though. Though, do we know what Hera and or Rex were up to during the Battle of Yavin? Were they involved? Uh, no. No, we don't know. Or no, they no, involved? no, they weren't involved. I think. Uh, what? Well, Hera was on Endor. Yeah, yeah, but that's like four she years was doing down the like road from supply here. Supply run. No. I'm oh, trying, Yavin, Yavin. I'm trying yeah. to think. It was. Come on, Lindsay. It was. <laughs> Idiot. Get on your Try Star Wars game. Um, <laughs> I think it was Filoni or Hidalgo uh, said that basically the reason the Rebel fleet is so small at Yavin was it was like a a smaller outpost that that I don't even. But see, then that doesn't track with Rogue One now the, and Rebels no. that I'm thinking about. Wait, I, Steve, did you tell us who your favorite is in Yavin yet? No, Brandon took over. <laughs> I tend to do that. Actually, I think I have to assume responsibility for this particular <laughs> tangent. I, I was trying to give you an out, man. No, 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 it's fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, but seriously, Hera and Re- <laughs> All right, Steve, who's your favorite? <laughs> the person who brings... The the most emotion to this scene for me, and it's really it, he's a background character throughout the entire rest of the movie. Well, it can't be Luke now. Maybe it's R two. John Williams. Oh jeez. Yeah, <laughs> I feel fair. like you cheated there. But... You definitely cheated there, but I'll let I'll let you have it. You can't have Star Wars without John Williams. No way. And the music makes this scene. It it you can like try watch the scene without sound. Oh, it's and brutal. It's, it's horrible. <laughs> but put John Williams in there, you get the size and scope of how incredibly amazing how important this victory was and what it means to people and it, it I can't imagine rounding this movie out without John Williams in this scene. Ah, that's a really good point. I, I can't add anything to that. I'm not and smart many enough. many scenes in it, too. Absolutely. All right, Lindsay, let's go to you. Oh, man. You know, so this kind of does tie into my number one because I couldn't decide between... John Williams and um, Ralph McQuarrie. So I kind of combine the two oh, to just say the dang. creative forces of the movie. Um, you know, just in terms of whether it's sets, costumes, anything where people really did think outside the box to bring us something totally new. But I think Ralph and John are really the two best examples of it. I I love that. I could not argue more. So, shock to nobody. I was at Half Price Books this weekend. <laughs> and uh, so we were walking around, and, and they had a Star Wars section, and they had um, the, the, the big coffee table Ralph McQuarrie books. Like that the – they're not 
called like the complete editions, but they're like the most extensive ones that they put out so far. Um, and, and they have the, the most of his art on there. And God, if it it was $130 for both of them. Whoa. Which I was and like. That's half price? Yeah, that's half price books. So. Nice. It was, yeah, it was kind of, it was ridiculous, but I had to explain to Brooke, like, who Ralph McQuarrie was and how, like, he created basically, like, the look of Star Wars. And it just, like, that idea hit me, like, man, can you imagine if he wasn't around? You know? No. Like, I don't think it would have gotten made. I honestly think he is just as, if not more important than George Lucas to making this. Yeah, I mean, because look at who he influenced later. Like, not just the those movies, but, like, it, did you guys see the panel that Doug Chang did for uh, Star Wars Celebration? I didn't see it live, but I heard yeah, you how should, he credited everything. You should go watch it. It's a pretty fun panel to kind of see his progression and, and how he approached the prequels. But he talks a lot about, like, how he was really shaped by looking at Macquarie's art. Um, and, and then we even see it expanding into like rebels and clone wars. And of course, I mean, John Williams is life. So yeah, it's great. Wow. Yep. All right, Drew, since I already gave my number one, which is the force a long time ago, you're oh, going to yeah, run us out. Yeah, it Take was, us home. Yeah, it was like yesterday. So you're good. <laughs> Uh, are are we up to longer than the actual running time of the film yet? I'm mean, pretty are. sure, yeah. I mean, that's kind of our MO, isn't it? Uh, by this point, we should come to expect it. <laughs> Longer short podcast on the internet. T-shirt coming Good to job. T-Public. Boom, cheap <laughs> plug. A great idea. Um, I, This was tough. We're trying to take the thing that kicked off everything and say what's the best part about it. And Luke has always been my favorite character out of the films. He's been the most interesting, the most relatable, and the most fun to watch rise and fall and try and rise again. And it doesn't always go so great and whatnot. But I feel like it's the relationship he has with Owen and Baru. And I talked about it a little bit earlier, so I might have given away too much of the game by that at that point. But it, 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 his story is the story of every young boy who wants to escape home and go do something more exciting. And there's a lot of baggage that gets dealt with very quickly in this film that could have probably been its own movie. And there have been coming of age stories that tell that kind of story um, in, 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 in longer times than the entire running time of this film. You know, something like Lady Bird, which does an amazing job of, of walking through a few months of a character's life in the same kind of situation, uh, minus the Imperial Galaxy and all that stuff. But I'm going to go with Luke. Luke's conversation with Owen and Baru at the breakfast table there is probably my favorite part of this film. And that's really hard to say because there's Y-Wings later on, and they're the best thing that flies in the galaxy. They're, they're my favorite spaceship. And I, they're not even on my top three list. That's how much I, I, I appreciated some of these other scenes. The relationship between Luke and his adoptive parents... Um, is beautiful it's amazing it's so much fun to watch it hurts so bad when owen feels betrayed because luke wants to leave him and owen wants him to go but he just can't do it yet he's just not ready and baru hurts because she wants to see luke 
succeed and, and, and feel better and find his place in the galaxy, but she can't push him out. And then when the two of them are burned to a toasty crisp later on, um, and Luke gets a moment of to see them, to understand what has happened to them. He's lost them. He's literally got nothing left to do on this planet. He is simultaneously free to do what he wants and forever burdened by their deaths. And that is pretty incredible to watch. And so that those couple minutes of the three of them in the one room really hit home uh, very, very strongly this time around. So if I if you had asked me this question maybe a couple of years ago, I probably would have gone with the fight at the over Yavin for the space battle there because that kind of stuff just it tickles my fancy in a way that not much else does. But the relationship between these three characters um, it beats everything else in this film. Okay, and then. no one's got a thing to say about it, which I'm, means everybody knows I'm right. <laughs> it's pretty great. Either that or they're crying into their soup and I don't know what to do now. It's a l- <laughs> little bit of both. Way to go, jerk. <laughs> my job. See, you guys think I'm just the joker, the clown, the sarcastic one to make you laugh. But no, I'm going to make you feel. I'm going to make you feel inside <laughs> that cold, dead cold space. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. Yeah. I'm, and- just reading, I'm reading from a script somebody posted on, on WordPress or something. That's all. <laughs> the, the look you get um, when Luke sees, you know, what happens to them. Um, I never really thought of about the fact that like he's now free to go off, but also burdened. Um, Ugh, it's it it's hurts, man. yeah. It I, I mean, and there's a scene in uh, the Star Wars ongoing comic in the first volume where Luke actually first confronts Vader, um, and he he mentions like you killed my father. You're the your empire killed. Uh, my my aunt and uncle and stuff and i appreciated that like he they they were showing that he didn't forget because once you get to empire things start to move so quickly that you don't really get a sense of like i mean even in this movie things start to move so quickly after that you don't really get that time for grieving um and and i appreciate that because I get why he, uh, you know, was sad about Kenobi and everything, and I, I get why that's necessary for the story. But in reality, I'm like, dude, the people that raised you just got, like, burnt alive. Like, that yeah. wasn't a blaster shot to the chest. They got, like, burnt. And you're just like, oh, man, this wizard, he... I'm sad. Well, and, and it, to have those two kind of things happen back-to-back, like, within the span of probably close to 24 hours to have walked up on the, the, the homestead as it, as it's smoking. And then to see Obi-Wan cut down and he lets out that exclamation of pain is kind of like he, he, he found a new mentor and he loses his adoptive parents. And then he loses his mentor. Literally the only people who know him and know his last name are dead. And so there's really, he's floundering at this point and has nothing really to cling to, which is why I think he's pretty depressed and beat up in the Falcon there. And when Han gives him a purpose, he leaps at it. He says, come on, kid, we're not out of this yet. So suddenly there's a connection and he says, okay, I'm not as alone as I thought I was. And that's kind of rebuilding it. And that's why he's so disappointed at the end of the film when Han leaves him there too. He's like, I just, I just want somebody to stick around. 
But it's very hard to have someone stick around when you want to go off and do your own thing in the universe. I mean, that's part of a life lesson growing up. It's like when you leave home, you can only take a piece of it with you and you leave the rest of it behind. And that is not an easy thing to do. Well, and in the uh, in the Attack of the Clones novelization, there's a, a part where Owen is reflecting on, like, he doesn't really have any desire to leave the moisture farm. And he looks forward to the day that he takes over, you know, as the lead from his father. And that's all he's ever really wanted was this simple life uh, as a moisture farmer. And, and he's totally fine with that. And that adds to it also because you kind of get this idea of like they were always kind of just misunderstanding each other right um and luke kind of almost took it for granted um until like you're saying like it it all in a matter of 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 a day or days it's just gone uh it's really i mean luke gets beat up for being whiny in this movie, but he goes through, I mean, he goes through some stuff. He may not go through, I mean, Leia deserved a little more time to grieve, but Luke has some issues to handle. Yep. He's going to get bigger ones next, next month when we cover Empire Strikes Back. Oh boy, that's going to be a fun one to go through, isn't it? I can't wait. I'm so excited. I might actually have to watch that movie. So before we wrap it up, do, um, Steve, do you guys have any like uh, any honorable mentions, things you wanted to note before that maybe didn't quite make your list, but you wanted to give special attention to? I don't have anything particular. Steve, you got anything? I had a note, but I've doodled over it, so I can't read it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm oh, serious. man. I'm, I'm trying to read between. I don't know. It, it obviously wasn't. Oh, well. It's a classic. Come on, you can do it. It's almost too classic, but the twin sun sunset is a phenomenal scene. I wondered when we were going to talk about that, when somebody was going to bring that moment up. I think we all tried to be super original. The thing is, there's... There's just so many classic moments and so many reasons why this movie has lasted for as long as it did and will continue to that it's hard not to be too cliche about things. But there's moments like that where it's it's so glaringly obvious that, of course, that's a number one of this movie. We've known it for so long. We just we merely accept it. But in 1977, the use of of an orchestra for the music in this movie was for lack of a better term, cutting edge. You didn't, this was a big risk that Lucas took and there's so much emotion and, and things communicated in this wordless scene that we have to pay it proper respect for what it was, even though we, we kind of take it for granted now because we're so used to it, but it, it, it's a, it is, it has to be has to remain it's a standout scene from the entire movie can't argue with that there's so really many of those the only the only gripe and like this is pit this is nitpicking like no one's business is it comes right after that sequence where they have they have the meal down there where it's brightly lit and it looks like it's daytime he walks outside and it's suddenly dusk guys i know time time works weird when you've got two sons like that but for real surely that couldn't have happened back to back 
that's about at it. least you point. know it's nitpicking. I like the part where Luke is in the garage and he and 3PO asks him if he can do anything to help. And Luke says, not if you can alter time, speed up the harvest or teleport me off this rock. And I can make this joke because I've seen Rebels now. Ahsoka busts through the world between worlds and says, come with me if you want to live. <laughs> oh, man. It's the only person who could. Oh, boy. The world I know. Between worlds. I'm impossible. Yeah. The only other thing I have is when Red Leader says at the very end they're in the battle and, and Luke says, um, I, I can't see them because they're calling in the fact that the TIE fighter is arriving and, and the Red Leader says, pick up your visual scanning. I'm pretty sure that's him basically saying, look behind you. Yeah. <laughs> because is right after that, doesn't it cut to Luke like looking out the side of his... He's literally looking behind him going, oh, and then there's the shot of like the six TIE fighters as they swoop in. It's like, oh, oh, I see them now. What a hero. What a hero. He's no wedge, but whatever. <laughs> all we right. Can't true. All we can't all be wedge. We could try a little harder, but... I mean... This is true. We have goals he's, and aspirations. He's the only one to survive all three major battles. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Four, if you think about it, because he was at Scarif. Was he? No, he wasn't at Scarif. We don't see him, but Red Squadron was there. Why would he's Red too? He's second in command. Lindsay, back me up. Doesn't it say somewhere in like aftermath or something that he wasn't at Yavin? I swear that's in canon somewhere. Was know. it that he wasn't at, he was at Jakku. Yeah, he was at Jakku for sure. I don't know about Yavin. Ah, we'll have to go check. All right. Well, if you know, you can tweet at us at Clashing Sabers, or you can send us an email, clashingsabersnetwork at gmail.com. Or, of course, you can always text us, 832-966-0077, and we will read your thoughts on the show. We do have um, an email to get to from our friend Neil Lowry from uh, across the pond, but I want to save that um, for an episode where we can dig into it a little bit more. Uh, and hopefully have some more emails to dig into. I really want to, oh, guys, I really want to do, like, an email show. Just, like, where we, I don't even read them to you before, and you guys have to go right off the cuff. Please. Listen, you're the boss. We can. I mean, don't, I just need the emails. Don't give him that authority. Y'all, email me. I need power. I'm power hungry. All right. It's true. I'm going to sign you up for email list notifications like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> oh, I got signed up for a Care Bear forum once. What? I, didn't, what? I did not unsubscribe immediately, which <laughs> is a little concerning. But yeah, I when I use um, worked that with Care Bear fanfic or... goes down deep, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the, the market is apparently there. <laughs> Whoa. All right. No, well. I worked for a, a teen leader group, and the teens thought it was funny. And you know what? They were right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right, Googling. Don't Google. No, don't Care do that. Forums. Steve, can you, can you plug your stuff before he goes too deep into the internet so we can get out of here? Do you need me to talk really fast? I can talk really fast if that will help. Yes, that would really help. Stop. That's just your natural voice. Stop. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> hey, tell yes, everybody so about you... the Saber Martial Arts Foundation, because I try to, and I'm not as eloquent as you are. You're learning. You're doing better every time you talk about it. I try. <laughs> I'm no Steve Kirk, uh, but... What? <laughs> Please. 
you can find us over at sandiegosabers.net. We are the premier lightsaber combat training group in the San Diego area. We also are a founding member of the Saber Martial Arts Foundation, a nonprofit organization uh, devoted to developing and promoting lightsaber martial arts across the nation. Hey, I'm just saying there may or there may not have, I can either confirm nor can I deny that there was a lightsaber tournament today. Really? And I won easily. Oh, that. <laughs> oh, that. Yes. No, that wasn't even the one. No, that's not the one I told you about. Oh, wait, another one? Another one broke out. Yeah. <laughs> broke out. And by broke out, I mean I marched my entire class into the other classroom and challenged somebody. But that's not important because I allegedly, I, I should say, I allegedly took my entire class into the other classroom. And we had to like, it was, it was great, guys. It was a lot of fun. Anyways, Saber no Martial Arts you're Foundation. A fan of, no wonder you're a big fan of Yoda. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm a crazy old teacher. All right, Lindsay, give your plugs. You guys can find me on Twitter, Miss Lindsay G, or of course on our Facebook group where we have some really great stuff going on, different collaborations, people sharing their, um, you know, works of art, blog posts, podcasts, things like that. So you guys can find me on Twitter, Miss Lindsay G, or over in the Facebook group. And Drew's always trolling over there in the Facebook group and dropping behind the scenes pictures. Drew, where else are you? Uh, you can find me at www.fanfiction.net slash cartoon slash care dash bears, <laughs> where you can read along with the Care Bear Magi Life, which has 201,000 words to it. Uh, and it go, the, the teaser header goes like this. A new story and another family. Founded on a small island, the Care Bear Magi were created to be the protectors of the Care Bear family, granted great powers to protect the Care Bears from outside threats. This is their story. What? A story of heartache, comfort, <laughs> learning, love, and life. This what is, is happening from the other to Care our Bear podcast? Written, and I hope you all enjoy it. Oh, Yo, so I'm impressed. Know. The internet is an amazing <laughs> thing where we should all be very careful what we Google from our work computers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably going to have to use even I from home. I can't wait to see what kind of advertisements you get now. Oh, my God. Oh, no. What have I done with myself? <laughs> no, you can find me on the Twitter at the Drew Brett. It's probably the best place to find me. Or, as Brandon said, in the Facebook group where I like to stir trouble from time to time. Y'all. I know that surprises everybody, but no, we have a good time. We catch up and people like to share things that they have written or recorded. It's a great place to find other people who are trying to contribute their voice to the uh, cacophony of sound out there. And it's a, a safe place to kind of post your own stuff. So if you're the kind of person who likes to share your blog or your stories or your art, uh, come drop us a link and uh, we'll trade some page views with you. Yeah, absolutely. And until next time, Batch 8. Hello. Hey, you guys were almost in sync that time. That was good. We'll get it. The podcast you just listened to and all other Clashing Sabers productions are the intellectual property of ClashingSabers.net. All sounds and materials used from other creators is their stuff, and we just use different information on educational purposes. Bottom line, we made it. It's ours. They made it. It's theirs. Seems simple, but if you're still confused, feel free to email us at ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com. We have no association with Lucasfilm, Disney, or any of the other fine companies that make all this stuff we talk about. But, Kathleen Kennedy, if you need anything, let me know. I work for cheap. Now let's blow this thing and get out of here.